When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Terrific. How are you, Andy? Oh, I'm I'm great. We're recording this the night before the Cubs Field of Dreams game, and I can't wait. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. You raised the question, I think, on your podcast with Dave, and I I haven't looked, but I, I, don't, I know I watched some of the game last year. Is there an outfield fence? There is. It has to be, of course, right? Okay. I was looking, you know, because I I was serious. I didn't watch. I watched. I wanted to watch a little bit of the game last year just for the novelty of it. But the White Sox were in, so I really didn't watch that much. And uh, true, I I think the fence is like low. Like I'm envisioning, like say, a running into it and breaking both of his kneecaps. Oh, <laughs> Wendell, Wendell Davis style. Uh, Let's let's recreate the now, Bill did Miller. Did you know that Frank Thomas owns that stadium? No. How do you mean? He and some investors bought it last year. Now the they stadium don't own itself? just the they don't own the tourist the property two hundred and fifty yards to the east. The thing I've been to. Have you ever been there? Yes, not, yeah. I, I've heard you talk about it. 1996, my, talk about a Motley crew. My older brother, my dad, and my brother's four-year-old son thought it'd be a good idea to drive out to Platteville. We stayed oh, yeah. in Dubuque. Yeah, we watched some Dave Wanstead Bears, and then on the way home, uh, we realized we weren't too far from no, Dyersville. So, yeah, had a catch, played catch with my dad. Uh, did did all that, you know, hit, uh, hit checked all the boxes. But, yeah, I, I, I was there, I guess, 26 years ago. Um, I didn't even realize I mean, until I was thinking back the fact that the movie came out in 89 and I was there in 90. The first right. Time. Well, when you told that story, like your dad couldn't wait. To, your dad was like almost a field of dreams hipster. He couldn't wait to, you, right? You went to Rushmore, you said, the next year? So, I mean, that, that probably no, we was. Went to, uh, we went to field of dreams. Yeah, the next, right. We went to field of dreams on both ends of that. I know. So I've, only there, I've, only, <laughs> I've only been there half as many times remember, as you. I've been there three hmm. times. A third, right, because you went from the NIU buddy. Buddy Wheels, we went. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we were hammered. But um, that was a long day. I think, did we go to Playville, too? I think we did. I'm pretty sure it was. What we did, we went from, how about this? We He came up to Rockford. He lived in, uh, uh, in Palos? Orland That's Park. a hall. He lived, he lived in Orland Park. He came, out, he came out to Rockford, and we went. Um, we went up to see the Bears. Then we went over, went to morning practice with the Bears. Then we drove over to Dyersville. Mm-hmm. So we had went to morning practice, went to the Hoist House in, in Platteville, had a couple of beers, mm. hopped in the car, drove, sped through Cuba City, where my dad once got two speeding tickets on the way to and from Platteville. That was fun. Ooh, ouch! Um, to see my brother pitch in a. a University of Wisconsin Platteville game that he didn't pitch in. Yeah, so he, so it really cost him. Yeah, Dad was really excited about that. But um, <laughs> then uh, we went out to Dyersville, did that, and then drove all the way back across to Janesville, Wisconsin, 
to go, oh, to, you go, to, go to the KKK Rock County Valley? Fair. And I think okay. we saw... What, what awful country act was there? Brooks and Dunn, I think, was there. Well, I got to tell you, this is just some true Midwestern Americana yeah. here. <laughs> You're hitting all the spots. Football training camp, a tour, a baseball tourist trap, and a county fair. Cornfield, right, and Janesville. It's whole Janesville, of course, the town where Geraldo Rivera got attacked by the KKK. Yep. I believe they yep, were. That's exactly right. Still, st- that's st- still on the sign when you drive in. Yeah. Whole month, also, they I mean, have a picture of Geraldo being hit. I, I believe. Yeah, the esteemed uh, uh, former vice presidential candidate, Paul Ryan, I believe, also hails from Janesville. Yeah, well, he still lives there. And um, I know I know people who work at the at the college there, the community college, and they don't like Paul Ryan. Maybe it's not a big deal anymore that he's not a congressman, but when he was a congressman, he would just call up all of a sudden and say, I need to use uh, your conference center for an event. And they're like, okay, when? Today. And he was, speaker, when he was Speaker of the House, so a whole bunch of security had to come first. Yes, detail. And they were just like, you know, buddy, we're trying to run a fucking business here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. He's like, oh, I've got to go do, uh, i got to do P, I got to do P90X for two hours before. I'll, then I'll be right over. Ah, Janesville. Yeah, Janesville. That's well, a that's good, yeah. That's a good fair. Rock. Uh, I, that's a highly recommend the Rock County Fair. It's a good fair. Our uh, yeah, our um, our whole uh, triangulation didn't involve Janesville, but it was like, we stayed in Dubuque, so we did hit the casino in Dubuque as part of our. So it was Platteville, Dubuque Casino, and then Dyersville. A few years later, I went to the Rock County Fair with my then girlfriend, and um, we weren't there to see anybody in particular. We just went up. You know, figuring what the hell. It's not that far from Rockford. It's, I I had been telling her, hey, if we're ever gonna go to a fair, the Rock County Fair is a good fair. Oh. So we go up there and we're doing the fair stuff, and um, I believe I was eating gator tail. I don't think it was actual. I don't think it's a Rock Fried. County Fair. It was actual alligator. It was probably well, so thirteen hundred miles from Florida. Probably rat. But I was I gotta try this. And Waylon Jennings. Probably rat. Waylon sure Jennings was, was the was the act, and we weren't in the. We could hear him obviously because it's fair. It's not that far. We could hear Waylon, but we weren't in the at the grandstand watching. And we sure. were sitting there, and I said to her, "I'm like, uh, I was joking. I said, well, I said we're gonna sit here. We're we're waiting until he plays the Dukes of Hazard theme song." It's the good old boy. And she's like, he's not going to play the theme song from a TV show. And it was the next song. Next. Nice. Yeah, he started up with, you know, just the good old boys. And the place went, you could, we hadn't heard the crowd hardly, and I, it went nuts. Just That's crazy. hilarious. For him to sing the Dukes of Hazard theme song. So he got all those all those gold records, and that's the one everybody was there for. So Yeah, such is life. That's um, good. Yeah, so people, I don't know how you could have avoided it, but there, there is a Field of Dreams movie deep dive podcast that's up now with uh, with Mike Pusteri. It's very good. Um, I got into, I got deeply into the agronomics of the whole thing, and then I couldn't help myself. Dave Brown and I talked about it on the baseball podcast, so you can hear it on both or either. Hey, um, it's Field of Dreams week, kids. It is. It's the, the last. Tomorrow. It's the last non deadly dull thing the cubs are going to do for years <laughs> you're pretty sure about that right i guess until they go no. to london next year and no september call-ups right because i mean brennan davis crashed that you get to call up two people right oh Rosters i don't know go to 28 they don't go to 40 anymore um yeah everybody's clamoring for the great matt mervis and he's not coming up because uh, he does not have to be on the 40-man roster this winter. 
And if they bring call him out, they got to put him on the forty man roster. And yeah, well, even even for the Cubs, that would be dumb. So they're not going to do that. So right, even for who Carter Kelly or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> well, um, Bort, Bort and uh, Matt Clapp were uh, conversing on the Twitters today about um, the roster crunch the Cubs are going to have with the forty man, and I'm just thinking, guys, there's a lot of dead weight on that forty man roster. And I counted, I counted ten guys that they just do not need to protect. They don't need to bring back. That's a, I'm, I'm not no mathematician. That's twenty five percent of that forty man that you can just be like, you know what? If anybody wants any of you, just go away. They're all turn it back. over. They're gonna they'll drop them all off. Nobody's picking up any of those assholes. It's you know it's it's Frank Schwindel and Rafael Ortega and Mark uh-huh. Leonard Jr. Yeah, they should worse they, guys than that even. I'm just like they don't need to be on problem. the forty man. If anything, they can come crawling back for a minor league contract most next of them, year. Most of them will, unless the Cubs decide they don't want them back. Jason Hayward will not be on the forty man. We know that Jed announced. It. So. Yeah, I was impressed they announced it. Uh, you know, sixteen months ahead of the expiration of the contract. Well, I thought it was, I didn't realize this. I thought it was funny. So we, you see that clip and then the next day the Cubs hit, tweet out, happy birthday, Jason Hayward. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> and Gittles is like, hey, what's, what better birthday present than getting paid $30 million to not play for the Cubs? Goddamn right. Yeah, like, hey, you're not wrong. Maybe Chuck is right for once. Maybe that was, well, you know, stop clock, all that stuff. Right, right, blind squirrel. All right, well, that's, we're not supposed to be remembering this kind of crap. We're supposed to be remembering um, slightly older crap. We have five yes. years left on the wheel of crap. 27 down, then there were five. Five to go. We have uh, we got one from the 80s, one from the 90s, two from the aughts. Two from the 80s, 84, 87. And oh, that's right, 84, 87. There's five. 93, two, two from the aughts. Two 80s, a 90s, two aughts. I, I would like to have any listeners know in, in advance that two of the five remaining seasons are dusty seasons. So I was, oh, I, I, I mean, love, I, I'm not, not that I'm calling DraftKings. I'd love to talk oh. about Johnny B. Baker Jr. as much as possible. Oh, we might get our chance tonight. We'll see. Well, yeah, that's a pretty decent chance. Oh, we can't spin it there. Nope. Oh, barely. Okay. 1993. The Cubs, man, well, I don't want to step on your uh, five fun that's facts. That's all right. But that's, uh, it's this is a Jim Lefebvre That's right. Season. The first Cubs team in our lifetime, Andy, to finish 500 and not make the playoffs. Mm. Opening day starter. Mike Morgan, um, interestingly, his counterpart in the other dugout was Greg Maddox. How did uh, that go? I think we should probably look at that game. It was oh, pretty uh, I accidentally pretty typed in 1883. Should we talk about the, the Chicago White there, Stockings? Is there, John Clarks, is there a John Clarkson, Mike King Kelly oh, showdown? Well, maybe? Yeah, King Kelly, uh, Cap Anson. Ooh. The catcher, Ooh. Uh, maybe, you know, we always talk about how um, Wilson's the best catcher since Gabby Hartnett. Yes. Was Gabby Hartnett better than 1883 catcher Silver Flint? Mm, wow. That sounds like Razor Shine. And then, of course, my favorite all-time Cub, Abner Dalrymple. Of course. Abner hit, sounds... Abner hit 298 for the 1883. That is uh, absolutely such a 19th century baseball-y name. I love it. They were 59, right. 39, and 0, and they finished second in the National League. Um, 
behind the Boston Bean Eaters. Oh, well, there you uh, go. There you go. There's your, 19, there's your 1883 uh, Cub. Uh, I remember this crash. Re- resuming the five fast number three, opening day second baseman was not Ryan Sandberg because after becoming the highest paid player in baseball, surpassing Bobby Bonilla, uh, Sandberg broke, had his wrist broken on the first pitch of spring training. Uh, a couple more facts, fun facts from 1993. Steve Traxel made his debut in September. Uh, instantly reminding fans of the uh, recently departed Scott Sanderson. And uh, last fact, 1993 was Randy Myers' first year at the Cubs. You say 53 games, I think, set an NL record. And uh, on which we should probably try to find this game because it's just funny. But on Randy Myers' day, my brother Brian Donahue will tell you that as a as a patron in the first row, the left field bleachers, he was the first to throw his Randy Myers poster onto the field on Randy Myers yeah. day when Randy Myers blew the save in the ninth inning, some game somewhere. It couldn't have been, it couldn't be too far hard to find because Randy Myers was pretty nails. So Cubs are 500, but legit, not a playoff contender and a lot of other things. Um, early year two of mediocrity by design. They were charting that course to fill that ballpark and, and have a team that uh, was going to win 75 games and maybe more. In 93, they did. They did it to try to save Jim Lefevre's job, and it didn't even matter. So I was thinking this would have been in the era when I when I always went to the old-style opener. But I know I, didn't, ta- go, I know I didn't go to this one. Well, we talked about this. Right. There was a kind of confusion because you you brought it up thinking Willie Wilson yeah, I had, had a, a yeah, Right. I, I had an acid flashback where it I was I, a game where Willie yeah. Wilson and Deion Sanders both tripled in the same game. And that's never happened. It could be man. It might've, yeah, I've had that even, you know, that's possible. You, if you went to the Budweiser home opener, you would have gone to the third game probably. Cause you'd remember if you were at Jose. I, was saying, I know I didn't go that time because that was the, that was the Jose Guzman flirt with history. Yep. And that's probably a good jumping off point because going into the season, of course, um, I mean, it was just almost too uh, perfect that they were playing the Braves and their new free agent signee, Greg Maddox. We've spilled a lot of verbal ink on Maddox, of course, justifiably because it's just such a historical, historic. He got booed. Colossal. He got. We were all so. He, so just to provide some quick, some quick context, we we've talked ninety two. We've talked about it in other seasons. Maddox was the reigning Cy Young Award winner for the Cubs, uh, but this was shortly after that period of time when Jim Fry uh, to cover his ass for a for a team that he was just basically um, peeling off um, was allowed to go to market. And and when he you know when he picked up Danny Jackson and and, and Dave Smith and. Um, George Bell and it pretty much blew up in his face. It cost him his job. And that's what I come back to when I refer to Tribune Company changing gears and taking a more cautious approach. And I think it, maybe not directly, but I think there certainly was a little bit of the context behind the Maddox uh, negotiations. So they bring in Larry Himes, of course, to replace Jim Fry. And Larry Himes had, uh, had built the nucleus of a Sox team that at this point in time would go on to win the American League West their first playoff appearance in 10 years and the nucleus of, uh, of Jack McDowell and Robin Ventura and Frank Thomas and Alex Fernandez that were four successive first round draft picks from 87 through 90 when Jim Fry was, you know, drafting the likes of Ty Griffin and Earl Cunningham and Lance Dixon. So, um, but Himes was such a prick. Of course, we've covered it. He gets run out of the South side. And after 
Fry, uh, you know, blows through all of his bullets. The Sox, the Cubs think they can get one over, and they hire Himes. And uh, in 92, Himes brings along Sosa. You know, he flipped Bell. They were decidedly mediocre team, but they had a Cy Young winner, and they let him walk. And I think it was more of a Stanton Cook decision than a Larry Himes decision. It was definitely a Tribune decision. It really sort of strikes at the heart of, you know, where they were going. But the whole laughable thing was Larry Himes being forced to, you know, he was kind of being pushed out in front of the media to to justify the offseason in which they let the, uh, the reigning Cy Young Award winner go. And Himes, of course, famously, infamously put it in terms of just pure quantity without any attribution. Attributes to value when he said, Well, we took this pot of money that we could have given Greg Maddox for one player, and instead we distributed it amongst Willie Wilson and Dan Plesak and Randy Myers and Candy Maldonado. And so we really, it was almost like this sort of Phil Rogers plus one knot. It was yep. just so it illogical. Was and yeah, it was just bad. So that's all going on. Another thing that happens was that Sandberg who had been made the highest paid player. And so he's at his peak and we've had covered some recent peak. And that was what, like $7 million a year. I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. Interestingly enough, when he surpassed Bobby Bonilla, that is a different Bobby Bonilla contract than the one that gets right. uh, celebrated every year now, but Bobby was the highest paid player when uh, the Mets pried him away from the pirates around the time that uh, they were dismantling and the giants took bonds from, from Pittsburgh, but Sandberg briefly was the highest paid player. I'm sure bonds passed him up uh, after or whatever. I, I don't know how it all shook out, but he was at, he was at his peak and, uh, and Sandberg, you know, always the stooge, really, you know, although he rarely spoke, I, I really remember in the off season, like in December where he came out and he blasted Maddox, which in retrospect, embarrassing. It was dumb. He was put up to it. He may, you know, maybe things were miscommunicated. And I remember. So you're right. Maddox was booed because at the time the narrative was that, that, you know, that ungrateful little prick, um, you know, he, he left us, he snubbed us. And so sure enough, the schedule makers just by chance had scheduled the Braves to open the season in Chicago and who better to start the season for the Braves than their newly acquired Cy Young award winner had to be at Wrigley field. I think it was an incredibly gutsy performance by Maddox in retrospect, even though the Cubs were soft, but uh, it was, it was quite a, quite a memorable opening day. Really. When you factor in all of that shit I was just talking about. Uh, Ryan Sandberg became the highest paid player in baseball when he signed. Da, 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 da. How many years? He signed a four year, $28.4 million contract. Um, Effective beginning that year. Yeah, no. I don't get so Bobby Bonilla never got to play a game as baseball's highest paid player. Bonilla has a contract with the Mets that will pay him. Oh, I got it. $29 million over five years. Oh, okay. So, so he had signed that before Sandberg. So Bonilla's for, annual value was $5.8 million. Yeah. Ryan's was 7.1. Cause Bonilla signed before Sandberg. So I remember the question was, you know, conversations were being had in taverns and between sons and fathers. Uh, is he worth more than Bobby Bonilla? Cubs said yes. Which is funny. I mean, even though I just talked about Tribune pulling back the reins, part of that philosophy is you always have to keep one or two show ponies. Yeah. Sam well, was the, the Cubs chose to pay their 32-year-old second baseman instead of their 26-year-old. Well, it's another so, way of looking at it. It should not have had to have been an either-or, no. though. Well, it's just like, it's that's been the Cubs forever. This Oh, we can't afford it. No, you choose not to. 
You certainly can. Exactly. So, and then of course Sandberg, uh, in the very first spring training game, uh, Mike Jackson, a little wild, uh, throws high and tight and breaks his goddamn wrist. So it's just, you know, kind of a bad feeling going in. So Sandberg would be sidelined to start the year, and it really, I think that was that ended peak Sandberg. I think we've kind of already sort of provided that autopsy. You know, though I, I think I'm going to defend Stan Cook here. Um, so Greg Maddox in, in that first year, 1993, yeah, he won 20 games. He had a 2.36 ERA and he threw eight complete games and he struck out 197, he walked 52, but he lost, get this, he lost 10 games on a team that only lost 58. Wow. No kidding. He lost almost 20% of their games. Yeah. Certainly over 15. That's, that's that's not, not that's not good. Now just now Tom Glavin lost eleven. Um, it's kind of interesting actually to see that the bullpen not losing a lot of games apparently, but uh, yeah, no the Smoltz bull- lost eleven. Smoltz and Maddox combined to lose twenty-one of their fifty-eight losses. Mm. Yeah, that was a Braves team. That Braves team wasn't very good. They only won one hundred and four games. They only won the they only won the National League West by one game. How good could they? Yeah. Be? That- it's considered the last great pennant race, 1993. Uh, last season of the four-division format, no wild cards, two playoff teams, yeah. division winners only. It really, it's another case of Dusty. It's, it's literally just, think about what terrible luck that is. The best, it's the best giant team he ever managed, even the one that went to the World Series. Yeah, two 20-game winners, right? They Billy won 103 and games, and they don't make the playoffs. <laughs> you, and they didn't, you just go home. And they didn't fade really either. They won 103 games. You don't fade when 103. They just the the Braves got hotter than shit. They acquired McGriff. The press box blew up, and then they took off. Yeah, the the '93 Giants had Billy Billy Swift and John Burkett each won 20 games. No, uh, the shooter Rod. Yeah, Beck, Rod Rod Beck was saving their games. 48 safes. And uh, let's see how they finished here. I remember the Cubs playing the Giants around 4th of July that year. I was coming back from Wisconsin, and the first base umpire, Lee Wire. I don't know if you remember that name. Oh, yeah. But he uh, yeah, he died that weekend, right after a Cubs game. Fun fact. There were a few umpires that died. You know, John McSherry, Dick Stello, died in their prime. Oh, they're still working. Well, there are a lot of fat guys. Well, McSherry was. Lee Wire may have been. I don't know about Dick Stello. Dick Stello got crushed by a car. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's bad. It happens. Well, here's the interesting thing. So the, the Giants did have, they were up two and a half games on the 7th of September, and they lost. Is it? They, lost, you think so? they lost eight in a row, including a oh, sweep did. at home to the Cubs. I don't even they, remember that. Where, where the winning pitchers were the illustrious trio of Greg Hibbard, Jose Bautista, who beat Jim Deshays. I remember Deshays talking about he got traded by the Twins to the Giants just in like in September. Oh, it was no. like a waiver. It was like a waiver deal, and he got lit up in this game of the Cubs. Eight, he lost eight to one. Oh no, poor Jim. Um, and then Mike Morgan, and they went from two and a half up to three and a half out by the end of that Cubs sweep. Wow. Cubs really fucked Dusty's shit up. And that then, was a hotter. But how about this? 
Then they won. They won 12 of their last 14 games and lost the division by a game. Mm. The Cubs. It was the Cubs that cost Dusty a chance to go to the playoffs. I never knew that. I don't remember that. We'd gone back to school. You and I both were in DeKalb that fall. It was my senior year. Um, all I remember is that they were a typically humdrum, mediocre team all year, and then they were hotter than shit in September because they wanted to save Jim Lefevre's job. The only other thing I remember about September was uh, a young Sammy Sosa who would, in fact, become the first ever Cub to have a 30-30 season uh, in this year, was loudly criticized by uh, Ron Santo on the radio in September for uh, the Cubs are not in a pennant race, though. That's not uh, this. There's no, not even like in like it was in '95 where they really were at least for that last week. They never really were. So, not to justify uh, that or just dismiss Santos' old man on a porch, but he was pretty vocal blasting Sammy for being selfish and going for thirty thirty. But Sammy would get there. So nice season by uh, Samuel Peralta. But yeah, the, the September Cubs are hot. So, wrong team for Dusty's Giants to face when they. Uh, um, yeah, and one last thing about the um, about this Giants and uh, Dodgers thing, or Giants and Braves thing. Braves. The Giants moved into a tie for first on September on Thursday, September thirtieth, with a win over the Dodgers. So they were they were tied. That was the first of a four game series against the Dodgers. They would win the next game eight to seven, and the Saturday game five to three. So they were going into the final day of the season. The Braves and the Giants yeah. were tied at one hundred and three and fifty eight. And the Giants, you know, the Giants sent out to pitch that day. Yes, they sent out rookie R- rookie Solomon, Solomon Torres, Torres, who ten year or eleven years later would shatter Sammy Sosa's helmet in Pittsburgh. And Solomon didn't make it through the fourth. And the other thing about that was that I believe Atlanta became the first team ever in either divisional or pre-divisional play to sweep a season series because they finished off a sweep of the Rockies. They never lost the Rockies, uh, I want to say, in the Rockies. So they could had the Rockies just beaten the Braves one time. Had uh, had Dusty's big as had, had Dusty's buddy uh, Groove Baylor. And the first year Rockies yeah. won one game, just one game from the Braves. Was, then uh, they were been thirteen and zero against the Rockies. They outscored one hundred and six to fifty in thirteen games. Hey man, when you're at the top of your uh, of your league, that's what you do to expansion teams. Giants ten and three against the Rockies. Yeah, six and six against the Cubs. That was cracks me up that. That was the old balance schedule. You were playing teams in the other, well, in the other division as much as you were playing. They played the well, Rockies thirteen times, and they played the Cubs twelve times. This is the first uh, year of the Rockies and Marlins being in the league, so it was a little bit uh, uneven. For years, from '69 until the year before, it was play your own division 18 times, nine at home and on the road, and play the other division 12 times, six and six. But with the Rockies and Marlins joining, that's why you have an odd number 13. That's, that was a first. Next year, 2023, every team is going to play every team in baseball. Wow. Okay. You will, the Cubs will play every American League team, either home or away. And they will only play the White Sox once. I mean, one series. 
I'd be fine with one game. Oh, it's somewhere Uncle Jerry weeps. Yeah, because if every other year that's three sellouts. That he, he is. He is he he's had, the reason had, they went back to the two. He bitched about it so much. Not they, going back to the two. They never. They originally was only one. It was one series. Right, series but then they switched. Didn't they? Didn't they switch back to one? And then I don't know. I, I just I know that did. he yeah he hung on to the two series like a dog on a bone because he needed those three games. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The. Uh, the Phillies won the Cubs division that year, and then they upset the Braves in the playoffs. But yes. I remember, you might remember an early season uh, series against the Cubs. Cubs got off to like a rocky start. You know, Braves take two out of three, whatever. But at one point early on, I remember a series where they beat ace Terry Mulholland on Friday. And then Friday night, I went out with a roommate of mine in DeKalb, and I believe we went to Lord Stanley's. I can't remember. And the band that was playing was called the Foot Stompers, just a regular old like old timer band, whatever. We were just looking for cheap beer, and they had a dance contest for two Cubs tickets. And my drunk ass danced by myself and won the tickets. Wow! So, yeah, my dad came and got me the next morning and went to the game. And I remember like Dwight Smith at home. Dwight Smith, by the way, we'll come back to it. Ended up being the primary center fielder in '93, which uh, was really chock full of laughter. But I just going to this series to say when the Cubs had a chance to go for a sweep against the eventual pennant winning uh, uh, Phillies, the Sunday game they were losing. And the one good thing that Candy Maldonado did in the Cubs uniform, some fans might remember this. Some like us as fans sometimes just remember very weird things. Former Cub Mitch Williams, much discussed on this podcast, uh, who had re- he rebounded uh, after uh, bottoming out and Jim Fry getting pennies on the dollar form and uh, Bob Scanlon and uh, Chuck McElroy. Uh, the Phillies are off to a hot start. Williams is off to a good start. The Cubs then stopped him cold and uh, took the first two games. And then on Sunday uh, with two outs, I'm pretty sure, yep. which former Cub Mitch Williams going for a save, uh, served up a cookie. To Candy Maldonado, who had started the season like one for nine. He was terrible at the beginning. He hit that homer. So, you know, a, a respite. And then he went back to sucking before getting traded for Glenn Allen Hill. Uh, to finish, one on that one. The Cubs did not complete the sweep of the Phillies. They lost in extras. And, uh, you know, just one of the few uh, pointless hype. The Cubs were, down, Cubs were down eight to four going into the ninth. And former Cy Young Award winner Mark Davis, not Raiders owner, Mark Davis, former Padres Cy Young Award winner, Mark Davis, was pitching. And Derek May hit a double. Sammy popped out. The beautiful, luscious curls of Steve Bouchelle drew a walk. So they had to bring, had to bring uh, old Jim Fergosi. had to come bring Mitch Williams in. And uh, Tommy Shields singled. That, Hardly, that I don't loaded think the bases for Matt Wahlbeck. Matt grounded out to the pitcher, which scored Derek yeah. May. Matt Wabba would back up catcher that would get treated for Willie Banks. Sorry. And then on a 1-0 pitch, Candy Maldonado parked a three-run homer off Mitch Williams to tie it. And then here's some managing, Jim Lefevre. Who came up to bat with the game tied and two outs in the bottom of the ninth? Mitch Williams? No. He was pitching for the – he was pitching. I'm he sorry. Duh. Mitch no, Williams. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's just it may it's they got him for this guy right? Chuck McElroy. Chuck McElroy batted for himself and struck out. Nobody left on the bench. Nobody. Well, Chuck had to pitch the top of the tenth, and he got through it one two three. 
Mitch pitched the 10th. The Cubs had, of course, <laughs> Ray Sanchez singled. He got bunted to second by Grace. There's some questionable managing. Uh, Derek Mace struck out. Wild pitch with Sammy up puts Ray Sanchez on third. Cub crowd going nuts. Sammy, all he's got to do is get a hit and the Cubs sweep. And Sammy grounded out to third. Oh. Oh. Oh, the things you find out. Then in the uh, top of the 11th, the Phillies rallied off of Bob Scanlon. The other part the other of the Mitch Williams. Chuck yep. right. and oh, yeah, for, traded with Chuck McElroy for Mitch Williams, yeah. And Dave Hollins hit a three-run homer uh, to make it 11-8. to eight. Yep. And in the bottom of the 11th, Matt Wolbeck hit a two-run homer. Oh, too little, too late. So, okay, how about this? This, oh, Jesus. How many guys do they have on their bench? One? Um, Walbeck hits the homer, cuts it to a one-run uh, Candy Maldonado singles. And who pinch hits for Bob Scanlon? Randy Myers. Ooh. Wow. And Randy... Grounds into a double play. Wow, that's one of those. Yeah. Where you know, Brenly was a little tedious sometimes. But the, if you feel like you're going to hit a double play, just strike out. Yeah, that would have been advised for Randy to have simply struck out and had Dwight Smith come up with a chance to tie it or win it. So Randy Myers is uh, in the first year of his new deal, and like in his third week, he's asked to pinch hit next inning. So yep. things are going great. Yeah. Uh, and of course, my Myers himself was, as you once pointed out, when I was going to claim that they didn't sign anybody be between the George Bell, Jackson Smith, and Alfonso Soriano. They did, but you know they had to sign that. That wasn't spending. That was just filling some of the yeah. void that not spending on Maddox did. But it was a big deal, and he actually was worth it. And uh, you know, still fun. But but he was basically also he was correcting the mistake that was Mitch Williams, which was correcting the mistake that was trading Lee Smith. I mean, it was, in a sense, it was still a sort of a cascading continuation of Jim Fry's original sin. So. Randy Myers batted twice that season. In his other at bat, <laughs> he had a two-run double. <laughs> Excellent. So I guess uh, Lefevre at least picked the right guy. Uh, it just didn't work out. Rainer has 53 saves. Yeah, he only blew three. I know he blew one to the Giants in late May. Kurt Manwaring tied it is, up. Is that the Cubs' record? Uh, it would probably have to be, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. has 50. Uh, I'm not going to look. Ryan Dempster got 50 saves? Uh, yeah, and in, in not in one season, clearly. No, yeah, well, Crane can tell you he's the only he's the only pitcher ever to win fifty games, I know. fifty saves for the Cubs. As if that's a fucking thing. It's not. It's ridiculous. Um, how about this? Man. Not only is that is Randy Myers have the most the single season record, he also has he's also number two all time. In ninety three, he had fifty three saves. In ninety five, he had thirty eight. Oh. Bruce Souter had thirty seven. Lee Smith, 36, and Mitch Williams, 36. Oh, it looks like we're missing. Wait a minute. We're missing some rows here. Um, 
maybe he's not first and second. I don't know if anyone saved 40 for the Cubs. They've had good closers. I don't know if Lee, I don't think Lee ever got to 40. Oh, there's one other guy had 50. So this the was, Cubs? that was misleading. Yes. Randy Myers, 53. Rod Beck had 51 in 98. Oh, fuck, in 98. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Marmel were... and Randy Myers had 38. Marmels was in 2010. And Bruce so Myers is, Myers is first and third. Yeah. And then 95 season was strike short, so he would have had 40 probably. Cubs otherwise. have had tied for 10th. The Cubs have five guys tied for 10th most. They are It's an illustrious group. Joe Borowski, Ryan Dempster, Kevin Gregg, and then two years of Lee Smith, 84 and 85. Lee's on here one, two, three, just three times. Marmel's on it twice. Suter's only on it once because it was a different time. Mitch is on it. All the greats. Speaking of Lee Smith, I mean, we're now, what, six years removed from him being gone? He's still mowing him down. Yeah. There, there is a song. So washed up, he's still leading the league in saves. My, br- my brother used to tell me about a song that some garage band had put together about when the Cubs, when the it was like just like just riffing on the guitar, like when the Cubs win the World Series, and they had a whole bunch of different lines. It was Lee Smith will still be pitching, and the song was made like in 1993, you know, too. It was already like, wow, Lee Smith is still going strong. Definitely was. Just now with the Cubs. Uh, yeah, so Willie Wilson uh, played 105 games. Uh, he hit 258 with a 301 on base. 301, huh? Seven stolen bases. He was 37 years old. That was a good idea. Um, so I guess that would be why Dwight played. Dwight, how about this? Yes, yes. Other than the fact that he you know, was a terrible outfielder. And yeah, he was 29 years old, and he hit 300 on the dot with a 355 on base and a 494 slugging. He was, that's, you know, that's perfectly was, acceptable. Keep running that out there. He was always just a, a fun left-handed hitter to watch. The thing about Dwight Smith, and we've talked about him. He recently died, and we talked about him because the wheel fell in 1990 last time. Uh, he and uh, and even in '88 when he led Pittsfield in hitting. But he was fun. He was the runner-up rookie of the year in 89. The thing is, he could hit. He had a sweet swing, um, and he could hit. He was just a good hitter, and he was fast as hell. But it didn't matter because he was just an atrocious base runner, too. So, And the speed didn't help him in the outfield because he didn't have range. He couldn't read a ball off the bat. But because he did have, like, raw speed, they put him in center. And he ended up – so I see on Baseball Reference – uh, you know, Willie Wilson apparently is Demas center field, and that's fine. But I just remember it feeling like early in the year and for most of the year, Smith kind of just took over. So it was almost like, well, this ragtags fantasy team that we slapped together, that's very ill-fitting. I guess you might as well. You got to get Smith in the lineup. So uh, as you said, he only had 343 plate appearances, uh, but he did have more than Willie, and he got a lot more games in center than you might think. And I just remember thinking, well, that's probably a problem. Well, there's another guy who got uh, got some run in center field that year, and he hit 288, 413 on base, 538 slugging. He's he's probably a little bit better remembered for what he did um, on opening day a year later. Oh yeah, Carl Tuffy Rhodes. He, he was a late Cubs in '93. Late '93 because um, 
He was uh, a deadline deal. The Cubs finally gave up on, and not gave up. They got a lot of use out of Paul Asenmacher. They acquired Asenmacher himself as contenders down the stretch in '89, and he was an innings eater. So he was a pretty regular presence in the early '90s, and the Cubs flipped him to a team that could use him in the playoffs and got Rhodes late in the season before becoming. You know, this also addresses Andy the whole, uh, the whole, I the whole like void in center field that we've danced around, talked about, and decided we're going to have to do a, a separate episode on that alone. You got Willie Wilson in 93, ends up being Dwight Smith. You have Patsy Tuffy Rhodes, you know, before a rare string of consistency, which would be the three years of Brian McRae. But, I mean, 93 really is uh, really speaks to the whole, among other things, the absolute um, black hole in center field, 100%. Uh, 93, the Cubs, I was just looking at their starting pitching. They had four guys who won. Oh, I didn't go far enough. Yet. Yeah, I was. I saw four Greg Hibbert's with, name. With double D, I want to talk about Greg Hibbert. I remember it was a big deal at the time, and it was supposed to be fixed with Danny Jackson. The Cubs hadn't had a left-handed starting pitcher. They had Trout. And then after Hibbert, they had a, they went through another like ridiculously long drought. So speaking of center field, or so you're going back to really Kenny Holtzman or something, right. probably. So uh, Larry brought Hibbert with him, basically, from the White another, Sox. Another former White Sox. And Hibbert led them in wins. He's 15 and 11 with a 390. Yeah, oh, CRS. 15. I, I just remember Hibbert had a nice year. He was uh, he was kind of a young White Sox that came up around the time of McDowell and, like, you know, that team. And then Sox got better and he was, you know, disposable. He's another fine that Larry Himes, like you said, brought over. Uh, and I had forgotten that, yeah, he became a noteworthy lefty because, you know, Steve Trout really only had 84 in parts of other seasons. And so if you're wondering why, so let's see, Hibbert, how long did he pitch for the White Sox? Not as long as you think, but one, two, three, four years. He had won 14, 11, and then 10 games for the White Sox. And he was suddenly available to the Cubs because the White Sox lost him in the expansion draft to the Marlins. And the Cubs, the Cubs traded for him. And wait okay. till you hear who they traded for him. Because the Alex Marlins, Arias? Marlins were loaded up. Not just Alex Arias. That wasn't enough. Gary Scott. Oh, hey. Uh, so that's the end. So wait, both Gary Scott and Kevin Ory were ultimately traded to the Marlins yep. at the end. How about how yeah. about that? I got a pretty good idea. Patrick Wisdom will be playing for the Marlins at some point. So. It's okay. A it's a thing. It's a trend. That's fine. Yeah, the only one of the regular starters to not win double digits was Frank Castillo. He was only five and eight in twenty-five and starts. So yeah, Castillo uh, came up and it had a really strong ninety-two. He was during Maddox's Cy Young season, in which you know Morgan was sort of uh, was able to buttress with a sixteen-win season. Castillo, the young. Young Buck won 10 or 11 games, had some big ones, you know, when they were still sort of staying alive and a bit of a regression, I guess, in 93. One of my favorite Cub pitchers of the 90s won 10 games pitching predominantly out of the bullpen. And I've already already mentioned him once. It was Jose Bautista. Yeah, I I, I don't know why I can't remember that. There were so many Bautistas going on for a while. I... He was the guy that was traded for who? You brought him up last week. Now he was the opening day, not opening day starter, but he he the game two starter in nineteen ninety in that weird ear sets beginning of the season. 
He, he was a regular president. He's one of those guys that just somehow I, I have a blind spot to, I think. Yeah, he's, well, no, he signed with the Cubs in December of 92. Oh, so who's the other guy? Who's the Bautista from 1990? Never mind. It's not the same guy. Yeah, that's Miguel? what I mean. Miguel. Maybe, no, no that's the guy. Had, yes. In pitch the World Series. I don't remember who we were talking about. I just remember more. that So we in the my friends at Northern, we used to make, I, I would act like Jose was great because he was 10 and two, 10 and three with a 282 ERA. And when he was pitching, I would, I would actually like, um, I would voice what Jose was clearly telling the hitters, which is you can't hit my fastball. Cause he had like the straightest fastball in the world. And the guys are swinging through it. And we're like, why are they not just annihilating him? I'm going to challenge that, that not only did Jose Bautista not have the straightest fastball in the world, he didn't even have the straightest fastball on the team. That would belong, of course, to the aforementioned Bob Scanlon. Oh, that's true. Well, so, Bob, sorry. Bob, this would have been Bob's last year. Uh, he had uh, the, he, and, he and Chuck both hit, were given trials as closers in 92, and they both eventually kept blowing games after so a couple. This was, this was year – wait a minute. This is their third year in the organization. Okay. This is year one of Jim LaFever. He gets year two. This is year two. He gets canned with a winning. Oh, that's right. I remember my buddy Keith was never, like, He off. finished with a 500 yeah. record because he finally the had a winning had a season. Chance. They fired the manager. So they hired Jim Riggleman. That's right. No, Tom Troublehorn in between. Oh, we had Troublehorn. All right. The thing so I was setting up was Riggleman. He was. I, that was always another joke was that he always had Bob Scanlon warming up in the bullpen. Like, Bob would warm up for six innings every game and come in just exhausted. Right. Somewhere, Jim Riggleman is, is every time he picks up the phone, no matter what, he's just, gets Gallon up. Like, no, he hasn't pitched for you for 30 years. <laughs> what? I, that tracks. I think that tracks. God, that's right. I get, you know, there's the, the mediocre Cub managers. We've had so many. Yeah. It takes me a minute to place them all. Well, and in the nineties, they, they they did their best to make it simple by just having the the milk toast white guys named Jim, you know, interrupted yeah. by Tom. Um, but yeah, yeah. So we we literally went, so we went Jim Essien, Jim Lefever, yes, Horn, Jim Riggleman, Jim Jim Riggleman, right? That's it. Yeah, they finally they finally mixed it up with Don Bailey. They started actually acting like big boys with managerial hires, even though if they weren't being big boys with free agent signees. But uh, in, in the nineties, both the managerial hires and the free agent signings were similarly uh, uninspiring. Yeah, we talked about the Cubs. That, the Cub job was the job where the manager's career went to die. Yes, until yes. Until Riggleman, right, right. When, when he, Riggleman, but not, but not for like fifteen years. Yeah, and either. he was interim when he first got to manage again, and then he finally got a job on his own. Well, Riggs got like three more cracks at the apple, but there was like a ten-year gap for him after the Cubs. Ba uh, Baylor never worked again, but Dusty, I think, actually got a job before Riggleman second. I think Dusty was the first former Cub manager in our lifetime to to work again. Yeah, we went back when he went to the Reds. Yeah, just and he uh, talked two about or three it. Years Dusty later. literally talked about how. He had to go get a job immediately because a he thought it was hard for black managers if they sat out a year to get another job, and b mm -hmm. he's like I'm I, I just managed an organization where once they fire you, you never work again. And he yeah, wasn't wrong. No, it's been different since. I mean, you know, Joe Madden's gone elsewhere. Ricky Renteria has gone on yeah. a cornucopia of recycled managers, but for a while, you're right, it was a graveyard. Dale's fame still hasn't. Someday. He's getting another job. 
Uh, Cubs were his second job, though. Perhaps. Because remember, we talked about in 08, we talked about how they they can Ned Yost with like a week to go in the season. (laughs) Dale took him to the playoffs. He did, right? They made the playoffs that year. Yeah, they lost to the Phillies. And he was their manager. They lost to the Phillies, but not in the LCS. Their only LCS the last 40 years was in 2013 or something, right? One of those Cardinals years. Yeah. So, whatever year that was. And they blew. uh, One of the few teams that that have a. Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, Brewers, and they. Okay. Wait a minute. Did they play in the. They didn't play in the LCS against the Dodgers? Oh, uh, more recently. You're right. But that was the, when was the Craig Council one. did the Wade Miley yeah, shenanigans. Miley for one started pitcher, for one batter. batter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's ironic because Wade has, has made a couple of those starts for the Cubs. <laughs> one batter. <laughs> my arm hurts. Oh, okay. Well, you can come out now. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a playoff game, Wade. What? You can pitch to the second batter. No, I can't. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm pretty sure I found the Randy Myers game because I, he only blew three saves, and his uh, save on July 3rd, 1993, would have been his only one on a Saturday. Oh, yeah, because I know that's that's when they were there. So I don't know if that's well, true good or not. Hustle by the Cubs having Randy Meyer poster day during his first year. Yeah, much like, also much good like Nick Madrigal bobblehead day that they had a couple days ago. I w- uh, yes, did you see that? Uh, I saw that. Right? Did, was that a Cubs thing? I misread it at first because it was at the bar, the the whatever you call it, the Bud the Budweiser Brick House, which is part of that new complex that uh, you know butts butts up to Gallagher Way. So the dude was sitting inside that bar, not in the stadium. He, he looked like a Cubs employee, he had the the polo shirt, and they were stacked up there. And then I, he told me it was for a private party. When I left, I just thought he was. My wife thought they were giving him away, but was was the giveaway also going on in the ballpark yeah. that day? Or? Yeah. Jesus Christ! People were lined up. Holy mother of Christ! To get a for the for the lifelike bobblehead, yeah, for the, the life size. Yeah, not it's not actual size. It's actually bigger <laughs> than Nick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, the I think I remember uh, about Randy Myers poster day was after everybody threw all the stuff. They when he got interviewed after the game, he said, "I would have booed me too." So I yeah, that. well, I I don't. Yeah, we've kind of rehashed the Randy Myers, and uh, I, I think by and large, he he pretty much checks out as a net positive. Uh, pretty cool guy, and just had some interesting moments, and you know, kind of keep you on your toes a little bit. He was good. So, I mean, he only blew three games, fifty-three out of fifty-six saves. That's part of the reason they he dragged their dead ass yeah. over five hundred. Uh, let's look at the Randy Myers career with the Cubs. There, there is an archived uh, Seattle. Um, oh wait a second, maybe I was wrong. August fifteenth could have been later in the year because I did find an article uh, that was from the Seattle Times. Uh, what began as your typical baseball promotion turned into the Randy Myers poster day disaster. Oh, but that's dated August 15th. So I need to do a little bit more internet research before I just start throwing out July 3rd. For some reason, I thought he had only blown three saves that that whole season. And uh turns out... They could have blown too many. I can't imagine they had more than 56 leads. I guess we know they had uh, whatever, 80. How many games they win? 84, 83? 80, they finished over 500. Um, so in three years with the Cubs, he saved 112 games. Allowed 100, he struck out 177 guys in 171 innings. Only allowed 154 hits. That's not that great. Struck out um, 
9.3 guys per inning, the only team that he struck out more for. Well, no, he did it for Baltimore, too. Baltimore and the Mets, he struck out 9.9 batters per nine innings. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, we discovered, too, he happened to show up on the 98 Cubs down the stretch. Um, yeah, so it's weird as that baseball reference does not credit the game on August 15th as a blown save. Uh, but that is out Randy Myers because there's an article that corroborates it. But I found the game, and he blew a 2-0 lead in the top of the ninth. Uh, he blew two games against the Giants. There you go. Well, he was trying yeah, to cause he, Yeah, because he blew one in uh, in late May also. Todd Benzinger had the big hit there. Wow. How, are you get, how are you going to get Todd Benzinger out? With two outs. But then uh, Mark Grace ended up winning it uh, at the end. A couple of the random thoughts I had. I just want to get out there so I don't fa- I don't want to fail to mention it. Jose Vizcaino filled the void. Because Sandberg couldn't play, they basically had to move around. And he got off to a hot start. He was really good, and they ended up trading for Anthony Young. And then the other thing, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, that uh, sometime in May, and I'll find the game because I was driving back from DeKalb down North Avenue listening. True story. I know I was listening to Wayne Larrabee call the action for some weird reason on a Sunday afternoon after school had ended at Northern, early May 1993, when Mark Grace hit what is still the last cycle for a Cubs. Oh, yes. So um, that did happen in 1993, and I know it happened at home, and I can just tell you that it also happened on uh, Sunday, May 2nd, I believe, against the Reds. Oh, it seems early for me to be coming home from school. Oh, no, no. I was Sunday, May 9th against the Padres. That's Jose, it, folks. Jose Vizcano in the first half. That year, 309, 351, 381. Yeah, validated. Not uh, not a lot of thump, but he was sitting over 300 at the All-Star. He should have been an All-Star. I don't know why he was an All-Star. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, 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 he helped mitigate uh, against Sandberg's absence early on. But they were screwed. No Maddox, no Sandberg. Yeah, I, I just, you know, he, I, uh, I, I'm pleased that, uh, that, that the numbers bear it out. He just seemed to get off to a really good start. And Grace himself had probably his finest season, the closest he came, I remember, to 100 RBIs. I think he had 98. Probably one of his two finest seasons, actually. It was probably peak Mark Grace, 1993. He'd gotten his life back on track. He'd uh, you know, gotten over his divorce with Michelle. He'd you know, just gotten himself more into like the game readiness and – hanging out and, you know, living the life in the toast of Wrigleyville and, you know, being the uh, line drive hitting first baseman that uh, 956 OPS. No, that can't be right. That was at at a point in the season. That is definitely not Mark Grace. But it was his probably best all-around offensive season, I think. So, Jose Vizcano... You'd be shocked to know that being traded for Otis Smith and Anthony Young was not the biggest trade he was ever in. In 1996, he and Jeff Kent were traded uh, from the Mets to the Indians for Carlos Baerga and Alvaro Espinosa. Wow. And then, if you trade Jeff Kent, you have to trade Jose Vizcaino. Because then in 1996, he was traded by the Indians with Jeff Kent. Another uh, illustrious Cub, Julian Tavares, to the Giants huh. for a player named later and Matt Williams. Um, 
And then well, the Indians later sent Joe Roa to the Giants to complete the trade. The Giants sent Trent Hubbard to the Indians to complete the trade. Would that be Trinidad Hubbard? Yes. Former Cub? Future Cub? Yep, it looked like old. a the, the cigar store Indian. Yep, good old Trinidad Trent Hubbard. Uh, he, played, he played for the 2003 Cubs. Yes, he did very briefly, but not on the playoff roster. Amongst that word, that was a very impressive name salad uh, that you dropped out there. You mentioned Joe Raw. Pat Hughes once surmised if during a game in 1996, I believe, for the Giants, maybe later, whether or not Joe Roa had the shortest first and last name in baseball history. Just six letters. Well, Ron Say. Oh, look at you. Wow, you just turned that one around. <laughs> Fuck you, Joe Roa. Yeah, you're tied. So, yeah. So you know Jose Vizcaino then was he was he was in some uh, rarefied air playing for some good teams. I mean these are yeah. good Indi- Indians teams. He and was Giants a pretty teams, useful. So. He was a useful. He really was. Player. Yeah, switch hitter to play second and short and third. Yeah, Cubs had a bit of a parade of those guys. It just seemed like Ray Sanchez, uh, Jose Vizcaino, who they traded and then basically replaced with Jose Hernandez. They just kind of had to yeah. keep this this sort of thing in flux. Do, do we know but, if ninety three was the immoral Harry, uh, the pop up to? Uh, Ray Sanchez goes. He had never dropped one of these in his life, and then he dropped no. it. Harry was very Could, amused by the fact. Couldn't that name that it. That happened. Couldn't name it. I'll tell you, I had a Harry Carey moment though, because uh, '93 was the year that I turned 21. And I'm sure you were right behind me. Uh, managed Harry to pull and, Harry up. and Pete Von Aachen buy you some drinks. They ran. You ran into him at a bar one night. Now managed to pull off the unlikeliest of double headers when. Uh, my buddy, a couple of us, I think one of my buddy's girlfriends, were in the bleachers. There's a game against the Rockies, and I want to say uh, Pedro Astacio was uh, was pitching for Colorado. And I remember, like, third or fourth inning, kind of taking a stretch in between innings, looking over our shoulder and uh, saying, oh, looking at the scoreboard and saying, oh, the White Sox are playing tonight in Milwaukee. Mm. So. So it goes that we ended up seeing the other end of the doubleheader in Milwaukee. Not sure how how we made it back, but I'm here to tell the story. So there you have it. Beautiful county stadium. I did. I did. Did that we did that we did that in ninety six too. So uh, you know, you only live once. So Glenn Allen Hill was on the ninety three Cubs. Because he, he was acquired for the aforementioned Candy Maldonado. Larry Himes, to his credit, cutting his losses on the free agent signing that was Candy. Bring, bringing in Glenn Allen for the first of two, yeah. or maybe even three. Uh, three. No, two. Three, three separate. Definitely two discrete uh, tenures with the Cubs. This is the first one, though. Yeah, two. I would guess in 2000, he played for the Cubs and the Yankees. I would guess that he started with the Cubs and went to the Yankees. His 1993, the Glenn Allen Hill, this is what Glenn Allen did for the Cubs. In uh, 87 at-bats, he hit 10 homers, drove in 22 runs, hit 345, 387 on base, and a 770 slugging for a 1.157 OPS. He basically should have been MVP. I kind of remember that. And I remember it was like, hey, I would have settled for half of that just to get rid of Mel Donato. He followed followed it up in 94. Um. I mean, they played a short schedule, but he only played in 89 games. And if he got hurt, or they're like, well, Glenn Allen, you know, he can't catch a fly ball, so it's tough. Uh, 297, 365, 461. Yeah. It was pretty good in that whole stint with the Cubs. 
Yeah, I would say so. I, you know, Glenn Allen himself was was considered a bit of a washout, like a young, hot prospect. I think he came up with the Blue Jays in the late '80s, early '90s. So he was already sort of settling into. That's how he like got his different... nickname. What was the nickname? Spider Man. Do you remember the story? So he was he was a rookie with the Blue Jays. He was living in the Sky Dome Hotel. He had a nightmare that he was being that, that he was. There were, there were spiders that were on him. He jumped out of bed and crashed through a glass coffee table in the hotel room and cut himself. That's right. I do remember that now. At least that's what he said. <laughs> Not quite as preposterous as Brian Robinson breaking his thumbs on his dogs in the driveway. Or- Brian Greasy did say. Did Brian yeah, Greasy also tri- he tripped over his dogs too? The Cup Bears had an ec- epidemic there for a while. Who was the guy <laughs> yeah. who slipped on the Claimed he slipped on a McDonald's wrapper. Do you remember that? I I, I, I got nothing on that one. Yeah. Sorry. Dave and I were talking on last night's podcast about phony baloney baseball injuries, and you know the Moises Salou fell off the treadmill. And everybody knew yep. he was playing basketball, and he tore, blew out his knee. Is that what it was? Yeah. That Actually, was what got it started was Chris Sale falling off the bike, and then the whole Steve Trout falling off the exercise bike. Stationary, but yeah, it was not stationary when when Rainbow Trout was on it. It was. But how about this? So this Glenn Allen, how about this quirk? So, you know, he, in 93, shows up midway through the season or late in the season for the Cubs, hits 345. In 98, when they acquired him from the Mariners, where he uh, had been, eh, not terrible, but he played 48 games for the 98 Cubs. He hit 351 with a 414 yeah. on base and a 573 slugging. So the key with Glenn Allen was simply um, right. let him start the season with somebody else and then go get him and he'll just tear it up. And Although we in discussed- 99 with the Cubs, yep. 300, 353, 581. That was ball on the roof year, right? No, it was 2000. Oh, he 2000. was on the so Cubs' his, latest 2000. His third stint when he hit the – oh, no, that's right. That was the end of his second stint. He uh, got dealt at the end of that year to the Yankees, I think. Yep. Um, all roided up for that one. And, and we gave it some great detail because I remember it very poignantly. It was a great late summer or midsummer game where he hit a lead-changing – Bottom of the eighth, what would be game winning two run homer off of John Franco in a Saturday game against the Mets in '98. And he was their outfielder in left. He was kind of like the Gary Matthews esque, you know, you kind of hold your breath, but he made some catches, running catches in the one nothing slash two to one Kevin Tappany, um, Javier Lopez game. So, yeah, I got nothing but fond memories for Glenn Allen. Again, there were, there were times in '98 and '99 where the Cubs were playing the outfield of. Henry Brant Rodriguez, Brown? Sammy oh, Sosa, and Glenn oh. Allen Hill. Well, I mean, Brant Brown, <laughs> like when Lance Johnson couldn't play center, Brant Brown is out there. Oh, my God. It's called the linebacker. Well, outfield. It's not much better in 93, though, right? You're starting with Dwight Smith in center. Dawson's gone for the first time. Uh, he's replaced by Sosa, of oh, course. Yeah, you got Candy Maldonado covering all that ground. And then there. Maldonado on left with would be Glenn Allen. So, yeah, outfield, a bit of a mess. Sosa, of course. Played a bit of center field still, I think, early in 93. Um, he was settling into right where he'd be decent for a few years. It's, mostly his, his arm would make up for his other deficiencies. So, um, Oh, yeah. I want to look up. I, maybe you said it. I was busy looking something up when we were talking about this. So and when Sammy got his 30-30, mm-hmm. that happened in that series in San Francisco, right? Did you, is that what you were I don't know. About? No, I, 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 can't, I just remember on the radio hearing Santa lose his shit. I think it did because I remember writing a story in a journalism class about it. 
I had to turn in like you had to wow, and I'm Can pretty sure it? that it happened in San Francisco. So okay, let's, uh, let's see here. Did he? All you got to do is find, I don't think it'll be too hard to find a caught stealing. I think it was on the weekend though. If that helps, was that a weekend series? Uh, maybe I'm dreaming, or maybe it happened the second time he did it. Because I'm looking that's here, 90, they, they went back. Oh, that's August. 95. That's too early. Oh, no. yeah. Oh, at San Francisco. Here we go. Stolen base. Yeah, there it is. September thirteenth. Yeah. I, that sounds absolutely was the weekend. It sounds was. absolutely correct. Uh, I, I don't even remember hearing it. I think I remember like Oleg, who's one of my roommates, was like, "Did you hear the Cubs game? Oh my God, Ron Santa was going nuts. Sam was oh, trying to steal not. the base. There's stolen base number twenty nine. This is on. Well, well, he might have actually stolen it in my in my telling of it. I'm saying Santa criticized him for getting caught. He may have been safe, and he still got criticized, right? Sammy just steal a base? Nope. But I, for some I, reason, for some reason, I don't know why I would even remember that. I'm I, I seem to remember that I it was like Dateline San Francisco. There it is. Okay. This was it was Wednesday, September fifteenth. Sammy stole his thirtieth base. How about this off of Solomon Torres, and Jeff mm. Reed, and uh, let's see how many home runs. Well, I'm sure he already had the 30 homers. He was going yes. to get the stolen bases, so there it was. Yes, well, that will bring it full circle because Solomon Torres would get – so Sammy Sosa gets his 30th stolen base to uh, become a member of history with the Cubs, being the first 30-30 man, and then 11 years later would uh, get his helmet shattered in iconic fashion by the same Solomon Torres. Solomon, oh. who spelled, spells it S-A-L-O. Right, Salomon, right. Salomon, like he's a – Fish or Salmon Rushdie. Is he, um, is he hiding out from? Maybe? In 1993, still was. I think uh, Satanic Verses came out around 88 or 89. So yeah, Salmon definitely in hiding. Um, we haven't uh, gone into Rick Wilkins's weird ass 93. Oh, yeah. Maybe one of the one of the most powerful offensive season by a Cubs catcher, right? Maybe even more so than Willie Con, because Willie doesn't hit like thirty homers and shit, right? Yeah, That's is, what is Rick Wilkins the only Cub catcher to hit thirty home runs? Jody never did. Jody's a great catcher, but I know he never hit thirty. Uh, Michael Barrett was a, a, a defensive zero. Did Todd Hundley ever do it? Not with the Cubs. Not well, a chance. That's right. Did he have 30 in three years with the Cubs? No, he only played two years, thankfully. I don't think he had half of that. I don't think he had 15. So, yeah, it was weird. He had 30 home. I'm not, I, I lost the 93 season, but I thought he had like 60 RBIs or something ridiculous. What was it like? Uh, Todd Hunley had 28 homers for the Cubs total right, in two years. I was being mean. Yeah, he had he did have well more than half of thirty. He basically had Rick. He combined for Rick Wilkins' season twenty eight homers and sixty six RBIs. But it took him two years to do it. Well, how, wait, how? But how many RBIs did Wilkins have? Seventy. Seventy. Thirty homers and seventy RBIs. That's right. All right. And you figure he drove himself in thirty times. Yeah. So he's like, hey, thanks a lot, guys, for never getting on base in front of me. Nine thirty seven OPS, four hundred forty six, five hundred plate appearances. I mean, that's uh that's a hell of a season. I mean, that, he he may have had the highest OPS for catchers in the National League. Definitely qualifies with 500 yeah, plate appearances. That's it would lead, nuts. It would uh, it would lead to a a big trade. 
Uh, not for two years. Right. You mean when? But I mean, um, don't you think when, the Astros were still like? Right. Remember that? He had thirty home runs. That one. Well, just remember that when I pointed out that Ed Lynch absolutely fleeced Bob Watson into giving, like, his Wilkins right on the DL right after playing, and then we actually got a little bit of value out of Scott Service and Luis Gonzalez. But yeah, um, we got the that was Rick Wilkins' one good season. Like Castillo, he came up. He may have come up late in '91. Now I think about it, but I, mean, I always come up this. Let's dive. Let's dive. Why not? Why not dive into Rick Wilkins' 1993 season? I'm here for how, it. How about this? He hit 20 of his 30 homers on the road. He he hit he hit 356 away from Wrigley Field. He hit 256 at home. 20 homers and 42 RBIs. He had 73 RBIs. 20 homers, 43, 42 RBIs on the road. 10 homers and 31 at home. His on-base average was 440 on the road. It was 317 at Wrigley. What the hell? His slugging was 712 away from Wrigley. It was 429 at the friendly confines. His OPS 1.151 on the road and 745 at home. Jesus Christ. Um, He had a terrible April. He hit 122, but then he hit 229, 414, 256, 286, and 352 in September. He He was trying to carry the Cubs to the pennant. Hey Rick, we're we're ten games back. Oh. Um, Crazy. He was four for nine as a pinch hitter with two homers. So even when he didn't did start, see, he was a threat. And did you see who his backup was too? I think it's his primary backup. Um, but it's, it was the return of Steve Lake. Oh yeah, of course. Who I had not remember, who I had not recall was on briefly the '83 Cubs, but thought of more as Jody's backup in '84 uh, before despairing. Came back nine years later. You know who can't use a a backup catcher nine years after you first had him. So when you see a guy with 30 homers and 72 RBIs, 73 RBIs, you think, all right. So was he just hitting meaningless home runs? And he, when guys were on base, he wasn't. He was, you know, wasn't doing anything. With men on base in 1993, Rick Wilkins. <laughs> Hit 322 with a 425 on base and a 528 slug. I don't get Runners it. in scoring position, he hit 283 with a 427 on base and 487 slugging. So he had a 913 OPS with runners in scoring position, a 953 OPS with men on. So the wow. entire indictment is not on Rick. It's on the his teammates not getting their ass on base in front of him. Or or scoring from second on hits. Like, are they going to they all pulling Cal Daniels's, which I know happened there yeah, before. Dwight Smith They're got thrown out 18 times at home. Please. Right. That's, I guarantee you, Dwight Smith got thrown out and at <laughs> least two. Was accidentally Rick turning right at third base and ending up in the crowd. <laughs> He's like, wait, am I safe? No. You just jumped over the tarp. <laughs> Uh, poor Rick. Oh, I was going to look at where he batted because maybe we can blame this on the fever. Like, was he batting eighth? Um, he batted cleanup five times. Well, he had Sammy Sosa. So you don't need to do that. Right. He batted fifth uh, 48 times. Predominantly, he batted sixth and he liked it. Uh, 202 at bats, hitting sixth, 366, 423, 673 batting sixth. Okay. And then he had he had a bunch of vivid bats. He batted eighth a hundred and two times. So he hit ten of his he hit ten of his homers batting eighth. Oh here's this this is here is very illustrative. So he hits yep. thirty homers. He hit ten of them batting eighth. In those on those ten home runs, how many RBIs did he had? 
Out of how many? I'm sorry, I missed it. How, how many? Eight, ten homers. Batting eight. Is it? It's either ten or eleven. Fifteen. Mm. He drove in. He hit ten home runs and only drove in other guys five times. Wow. Why is he batting eighth? Juvenile fever. Yeah. I I, you know, the fever at the time was one of the more popular celebrities besides Fran Tarkenton, who would do plugs for Tony Robbins' infomercials. Oh, that's why. Yeah. He had Tony Robbins speak to the Cubs in spring training in 93. So is, no he, is he Joel LeFever's brother? Joel LeFay. We went over this. Oh, we did. I don't I remember anything. No relation. No relation. Uh, they, I, I would hope if they're pronouncing their name different. Yes. It would be funny no if they were brothers. And he's, they just, what's, no, that's not our name. It's Jim LeFever. Jim LeFever is a ball player, was best known as part of an all switch hitting infield with the Dodgers in the 60s. Also on the Dodgers team in 66 that had probably easily the most woeful World Series offensive performance against uh, Jim Palmer and the Baltimore Orioles. But I do think Lefevre may have homered early in that series before the Dodgers lost on four straight shutouts. Yeah, he was he was Rookie of the Year in 1965. Yeah. Finished and I think 21st was, MVP voting. He was an all-star in 66. Uh, and then that was it. He may have also been been on an episode of Bewitched or The Monsters or I don't think it was Brady Bunch, but yeah, you know those Los Angeles ball players. Uh, yeah, and the Fever had been, I think. All right, so here's the this just popped into my head. The Seattle Mariners were a perennially woeful franchise. Both them and the Blue Jays came into the league in '77. Both sucked for seven eight years. Blue Jays got good in the mid '80s. Seattle continued to suck until Griffey, and then when they're about to move around this time, Lefevre, I want to say, was the first manager in Seattle history to lead them to a 500 or better season. That is correct, and he got fired. And he got fired after that. That's 80, probably 83 and 79 in 1991. First time they'd ever, uh, they'd ever been over 500. And he had a pretty, I mean, considering who he was managing, 73 and 89 his first year, 77 and 85, and then 83 and 79. Comes yeah. the Cubs in 92, so he, that very next year. Yeah. 78 and 84, and then 84 and 78 and gets canned. Yeah, it never and got a job a, again. He was an interim for the Brewers in 99, and he was 22 and 27 to finish out the season. Um, yeah, interesting. I don't know if you rub people the wrong way. I or I don't know. It seems um, odd. You got a little Rick Renteria vibe there going on, I guess. But... Um, I, I didn't really have any real problem, like in particular with. I, I thought it was dumb, and we've talked about it, how the Cubs did supposedly rally to save his job and by having that hot ass September and finishing over five hundred. And Larry Himes fired him anyway, which, like I said, was just stupid because it was his first hire. But and he didn't really have a plan in mind anyway. No, All he did was clear when you trouble horn. Right, yeah, you come up from third base, so. I don't know. Maybe he did just he just rub people the wrong way, or, or, or I mean, you can what? also get you can also give him the benefit of the doubt. Every, Larry Hines was a world renowned prick, hundred percent. So it could have been that Jim was literally just standing up for himself, and Larry didn't like that. And yeah, fine. Okay, yeah, could be. I mean, I wasn't going to go take to the streets for Jim Lefevre, but I did. I, did. I, that, I rioted. <laughs> we I threw the couch through the window of our apartment and set it on fire and. Like, yeah, you were Cubs fire Jim Fever. Yeah, I was looting the paperback Rado <laughs> in downtown DeKalb. <laughs> no, you're just shoplifting. That's different. <laughs> That's not looting. 
when you're the only one doing it, it's shoplifting. It's not looting. <laughs> so uh, I've got I've got one that will that 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 will please you uh, if you look up Sean Dunstan's line. He was a '93 Cub. Yeah, he had 400. Right. But, the, right. He hit 400. But if you look at his season by season, he played what in 18 games in '92, and then seven in '93, um, and. So he started the season. He was on the opening day lineup in 92. Okay. And then, you know, get the pull. You're the one that filled in the gap and said, you know, he, he got a baby, pulled a baby seat, tore out his back. He was gone ruptured, for ruptured a disc taking a, a car seat out of the car. I, so he, I would guess for Sean Jr. So he misses the last like 85% of the 92 season and the first like 90%. And this is just kind of a point. I was not as big of a Dunson fan as you were, but he always, if you, but, but right. But uh, he could, he could stir men's hearts, so to speak, because of his unbridled enthusiasm. Now he was getting old now. Now he's been around shit, you know, eight years has been a major injury. He's been gone forever. This listless team has gone through two seasons. Mostly he comes back in September and there's a game. Uh, this is going to be anecdotal, but I can tell you what game it was because I know it was on a weekend. And it was really his second game back, September 4th, 1993. And just what I remember about it in the game itself, uh, the Mets were of no consequence. But this is the post-Gooden era. I mean, he's still on the team, but they're not what they were in the late 80s. Uh, Greg's, Greg Maddox's brother is on the hill in the bottom of the eighth, but the Cubs are chasing a run. And it's only Dunstan's second game. And Sandberg leads off with a walk, and Dunstan ties it. With a double. And I, again, I say this is anecdotal because I just remember being in my living room on College Avenue, just kind of to the, happened to walk by, and the TV was on, the game was on. And Harry, as you can imagine, you know, because he was an incredibly unbridled, uh, enthusiastic broadcaster, was out of his shoes because Dunstan was that type of a player. I don't know if you could find a clip of it, but I just remember like getting goosebumps because Dunstan, here he is, a poor guy. He's been out of baseball for almost two years. Ties ties the game up. Driving home is uh, you know is 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 double play combo. Uh, Sandberg to tie it, and then Sosa drove in the go ahead run and and Dunstan says there single to center. Dunstan scores, but Dunstan like hustled his ass off head, head first slide to home. Harry's going nuts. It's a meaningless game. Although the Cubs are charging to be an over five hundred team, uh, it's just a moment. It's just a snapshot, and obviously didn't mean anything, but. Uh, I, it's one that I just clearly remember um, that I wanted to put on the record for the '93 season because, uh, like I said, not, I was not as huge of a dunce. I mean, I, you know, nobody could be as big of a dunce as you. I, I thought he had a lot of faults, but I would be the first to admit how exciting he was, and that was like a that was a fucking moment that I actually won't forget as mundane as it otherwise was. So it's funny if you go to YouTube and you, you search Sean Dunstan Cubs versus Mets, uh, you do get you get um, you get. Like apparently in a bat against Dwight Gooden, but then you get a lot of unrelated stuff, like him coming out to the mound to try to beat up Sergio Valdez of the Giants, and then the very next clip is him punching exposed pitcher Andy McGaffigan. Andy McGaffigan, yeah, that was on Easter Sunday, nineteen eighty. Uh, that was actually two days after the Bill Murray game in nineteen eighty-seven. YouTube really yeah. likes. Uh, here's a guy. Here's a nice clip of Sean being hit by a batted ball as a base runner two games in a row. That's nice. Wow, what are the odds? But well, nothing about his yeah, dash for more of the odds where the shot was on base in two games in a row, more than that he got hit well, by the ball. Yeah, there's that. There's that. Yeah, I'll see if I can find that, but I don't. Uh... Too bad. Too bad. It's it's a, it's a really insignificant game, and even in the context of the season. So, uh, but it was yeah. Take my word for it. It's just one of those moments 
that uh, if you saw it, you, you probably wouldn't forget it, in spite of how mundane it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's t- it was it was a tough break for Sean to get hurt. He was only 20, 29 when he got hurt, uh, but he stuck around. He played till he was th- hell. He played till he was thirty nine, but he was a utility. Yeah. Basically, once he hurt his back, he was he shifted. He was never the, that, he was the utility I think player they, after that. Ninety five, he played most of the year at short for the Cubs. Yeah, at the risk of being like uh, sentimental, I think that that's what that what that moment was was like a poignant sort of a glimpse of like the last. Like he was never. He never was that type of a player uh, after '93. Yeah. Starting in '98, he went to Cleveland, and they had, they became a utility player. Yeah, because yeah, he did continue to play shortstop like, for the Cubs, but he played he played nothing but shortstop for the Cubs until '97. He played at least a little bit in left left field. field? Yeah. Oh, my, my dad would have been happy clamoring for him to play center 10 years earlier. And then in 98, he goes to the Indians, and all of a sudden he's playing second and short and left and center. Yeah. And um, one year for the – what's it looks like? Who? For the Giants? Oh, the Cardinals. Oh, fucking Larusa. Oh, that's right. He played yeah. center, left, right, first, short, and third. Played every position except for catcher and second. Did he ever pitch? No. I can assure you. Doug DeSenzo was the only dude taking the hill back then. Uh, the other th- nice to, Nowadays, they would have sent him out there just to see what he could. Because you know, position players pitch like four times a week for most teams. Yeah, right. Nowadays. Yeah, the other funny thing about that Dunstan game late in the 93 season is you know, that pulled the Cubs to 66 and 70, you know, three weeks to go. Uh, and I was saying, well, the Mets, the, the the bloom was off the rose on those Davy Johnson Mets. You think that loss put them to forty-seven and eighty-nine? So. <laughs> yeah, they still had Gooden though, because Gooden would start the next season's opening day at Wrigley Field. Yeah, face Tuffy Rhodes, but yeah, the Mets, uh, the, that ship had sailed. The the, NLE, the the divisional format was being broken up anyway. The Phillies were the last champion. Um, yeah, I mean everything was kind of changing after that season. As far as that divisional format, so the '93 Cubs in. Well, let's see. They had well, obviously they had a Sam Mariano played 117 games, but he wasn't around for opening day. Steve Bouchel was a new third baseman. Opening day, he they acquired him for Danny Jackson uh, midway through the previous season. He was actually uh, Bouchel, of course, between Bill Madlock and Naramas Ramirez was. Definitely top three in most played games. He was what would pass for a regular third baseman. Oh, yeah. Opening it was a, day, yeah, right. It was a 93, July, 94, 92. Right. So he had done that for half a year. He played long enough to almost confuse Bulls fans with Judd Bushler. That'd be like 95. Steve Bushell, Judd, Judd Bushler. But yeah, he, that was, that was, that's what passed for a regular third baseman back then. Yeah. Basically, three and a half mediocre years. The Pirates got him in a huge trade with the Rangers. Uh, it was him and uh, Kurt Miller and a player named later for two ga- for uh, Hector Fajardo. Hector Fardo? Hector Fajardo. They traded three guys for Hector Fajardo. Who the fuck was Hector Fajardo? Never heard of it. Never heard of him. I just remember thinking the '91 Cubs uh, still had a shot that they should have been going for Steve Bouchelle that year, and they didn't. Because Gary Scott had flamed out. And we finally got him. And then we're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, Derek definitely. May hit 10 homers and drove in 77 runs. 
Probably uh, his finest season as a Cub. I think it is. He Pretty much an everyday player. You, we mentioned uh, Derek Makers. He made his debut in 1990, which we covered last week. And, uh, yeah, largely a guy that had a great baseball body, and he just never hit for power. And, you know, it's just a corner outfielder. And, uh, you know, probably had a 1,000 at-bats in his career, but not yeah. really that. 2,200 at-bats in his career. Yeah, well, more than double. And hit 52 homers. Six yeah, foot, I think six foot four. Six foot four. Yeah, he was tall. Six four, two ten. Fifty two homers and twenty two hundred at bats. Hit the ball in the air once in a while, Derek. It'll be fine. Not gonna hurt you. He did once against Denny Martinez and or Pedro Martinez, one of those guys Ramon Martinez in ninety two. Ty won a game late, but too too few and far between. You know, we started unpacking this. You know, we go across the board. We kind of did chronological order because the whole Greg Maddox game. I don't know if we really dove into that, but I, I we didn't really give the Jose Guzman game. I mean, you know, let's be honest. It was the first eight and two-thirds of no-hit ball since Chuck Rainey 11 years earlier, and we uh, we certainly gave Chuck Rainey his due. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much you want to go down. Just It was funny that just to maybe – uh, tie a bow on the whole Greg Maddox snafu, and now he comes back to pitch the opener. And he did like he was emotional. It was weird. He was getting booed, and in retrospect, it, you know, it wasn't his fault. So he must be going out of his fucking mind. Yeah. And but he pitched his ass off. But also Mike Morgan battled him toe for toe, you know, toe to toe. But Maddox prevailed. I don't remember how that game ended or what, but the Braves won. And it was like, oh, God, we wanted to beat Maddox so bad. I hate him so much. He left us. And then out of the fucking blue, Jose Guzman, which, again, when the Cubs got him, I remember it was like, oh, we got that Juan Guzman? Yeah. The Blue Jays? That you badass-looking guy? You got, the, you got no, the other guy. We got the, like, milk-toast, olive-skinned Jose, not the badass, dark-skinned, jerry-curled flame-throwing World Series pitcher. No, no, it's this other guy that we don't really know. However, in his Cubs debut, uh, Jose Guzman did become the first pitcher to go, come within one out of a no-hitter since the aforementioned Chuck Rainey. And uh, it was Otis Nixon, right? Yeah. Broke this one up. Not, it is Eddie Milner in the other game, Otis Nixon in this one. I mean, he had a tough ninth inning. He had to face uh, Mark Lemke, Francisco uh <laughs> Cabrera and Otis Nixon. The Francisco Cabrera, who just months earlier was yep. the first ever player to walk off a uh, a, a series in an ult- in a deciding game with a game lead changing uh, walk off hit. Yes, that one. And then, but he got the win. And then he it did. was he got, like he got he got Cub Killer Jeff Blauser out to end the game. Well, see, so he after he balked, he was so rattled after giving up the hit to Otis Nixon, he balked on the first pitch. To uh, Blouser, was it a one nothing game? Yeah, that's the other thing I remember. So Maddox goes a one nothing. The day before had been one nothing, and the Braves scored in the first inning. Ah, off of the way. The Maddox didn't wasn't a complete game though. No, Mike Stanton came in because who got on? Maybe a pinch hitter for although Maddox could probably hit for himself. Uh, And of course, Morgan didn't go the distance either, but. but Guzman did, and then I remember it was like you remember you like you kind of like allow yourself to trick yourself into the Larry Himes thinking, you know, kind of like, well, maybe they're right. I mean, Greg Maddox won the first game, but our guy that we re- kind of replaced him with, you know, he only gave up one hit. So, 
and you know, it was all downhill from there. If I want to say, in the Mavs but, game, the guy that drove him from the game, because uh, he was in the ninth, he had to face Candy Maldonado, Sammy Sosa, and Steve Buschel. Was Buschel? Sammy singled and stole second. The first, boy, Sam. the first of his. 33 stolen bases. How about up, that? Up yours, Ron Sano. What do you mean he never steals in a big spot? In a one nothing game, he steals second base in the ninth inning. Especially against Maddox. Absolutely. And then he walked. He was so rattled by that, he walked Bouchelle, and that's why they had to bring Mike Stanton in. And uh, they, Stanton had a tough... Uh, he, he had to face Tommy Shields and Jose Vizcaino. Who is Tommy Shields? Why don't I remember him? I don't either. I, I, I got nothing on Tommy Shields. Was it Tommy... Was it Delino to Shields' brother? Tommy, and he just no, go with the duh. I'm dropping the duh. Tommy Shields. Oh, look at this guy. Jesus. Played two. Uh, he <laughs> he played two games for the Orioles when they didn't give him a bat. They moonlight grammed him. Um, wow. And then he played 20 games for the Cubs in '93. He was six for 34 with an RBI. Wow. Well. I remember watching because we again I was on uh, or actually we were on uh, uh, the spring Harrison was where we were living in the spring and the the rubber match went extra innings so you know you get off to the season and then the Braves are at the peak of their game but I just looked it up right now in the rubber match the Cubs tied it in the ninth and I can't even imagine this happening but Matt Wallbeck the backup catcher tied it off a of future Cub Kent Merker. In the ninth, before I remember David Justice, I think, hit a homer. I guess it was Ron Gant. I'd like to see However, a they single to Merker. What is that even? Ground ball to the pitcher's right. So I bet it's one of those oh, where you hit the ball like 30 feet, and it's yes. like in the perfect spot. Infield hit. The yeah. fans are going nuts. And Kent Merker, of course, will get his uh, just desserts yes. when the wheel spins on, yes, falls on will. 2004. Uh, but we'll just suffice it. He blew a save uh, in that game. But then the Braves won it. So you're like, ah. You know, the Cubs played him tough, but it was all an illusion. They didn't have Maddox. They didn't have Sandberg. Things were just shitty. And uh, the 93 season, definitely not a – I mean, not shitty, but uh, completely designed to just be mediocre. That's it. I was trying to think of – so that Ron Gant, this was not – remember the year that Ron got – they demoted him all the way to Class A? I do. Vaguely. Why did they do that? He Didn't he wipe out on a motorcycle after he signed a contract and set his career back or well, something? He came up as a second baseman. He did. And in his first full season, uh, which was 88, he hit 19 homers and 60 RBIs. He hit 259. He was fourth in voting for Rookie of the Year. Oh, that Next, was the Chris Sable Mark Race Rookie. 89 is the year they sent him down. He was hitting 177 at the time. But they sent him all the way to Class A and made him learn how to play the outfield. Okay. He came that back, worked. He came back as an outfielder. You got to hand it to John Sherholz. The 88 Braves w- was probably pretty miserable. They, the Braves were absolutely miserable um, in the mid to late 80s. And then beginning in 91, you know, when Glavin shows up, Sm- Smoltz is there. Like I said, Gant, they invested. You know, Justice was the rookie of the year ahead of Mike Harkey. 1990, it all kind of came together, but that's pretty good move because Gant was a pretty, you know, productive player, right? Yeah, he was. And they also, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, they, you know, the the Braves were a gorilla by this time. I mean, they were they were not even at their peak. Peak would be like 95, 96. Year in and year out. That's who the Cubs wish they could be. Let's see. The Cubs were, uh, in, they were 11 and 11 in April, 13 and 12 in May, 13 and 15 in June, 15 and 12 in July. So they were yeah. the epitome of mediocre. They slumped in August. They were 12 and 18. But then in September and October, they were 20 and 10. Got to save uh, Jim LaFever's job. Jim LaFever, they were rallying for good old Jimmy. Um, probably would have saved his job, except they. Uh, got swept in a doubleheader on the 26th of September against the Pirates. Ooh. They were 80 and 74 going into the doubleheader. They really rocketed. They were in fourth because, place, only 14 and a half games up first. Yeah. So, like I said, it was interesting. Uh, it says more about the lack of consistency for the organization that for you and I, uh, they had only, until 1993, had only been 500 twice. Like, So, let's just say you and I. I know I'm a little bit older than you. Let's just, like, what we're doing here, we, we begin with 1980. In this timeline that we've arbitrarily sort of established, this is only chronologically the third out of 13 above 500 seasons. Uh, but it's the first one in which, the, you know, the, only, the other two, they decided just to go all the way and win the division. Yeah. So it was like a weird thing. Like, so they would be like, all right, Cubs suck, Cubs suck, Cubs suck. Oh, my God, they win 96 games and almost go to the World Series. Now we suck again. We suck again. We're getting better. We're getting better. And then 89, they win 88 games. And then again, they're they're under 500 for like four straight years or three straight years at, after 90. And so 93, it was like a novelty. It was like, well, this team has never been in contention. They were never like, it, there was never any discussion. They didn't get any heartbreaking September losses that kicked them in the crotch like in 2001. But they managed to finish 500 for the first, where I'm 21 years old. That's the first time that's happened without a division title going along with it. it just an oddity more than anything, but it's a, a fact nonetheless. And then the same thing would happen in 95, which we already caught. I was 31 years old before they had back-to-back winning seasons. 2004, right? Yep. Yeah. And then Lou was the first time that they did three years in a row in 2009. And then finally the field, what did we have? A, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Right, they were over five hundred when they missed the playoffs in nineteen, or no, maybe not. No, they were eighty-four and seventy-eight. Okay, so six years in a row, freaking Valhalla. In fact, they were on pace; they were going to win ninety games. Remember, they had like a nine-game losing streak late in the year. Yeah, Kimbrough kept blowing games. We're talking talking about the ninth was like the Joe sitting in the dugout in St. Louis and next to Theo, and Joe's not coming back. Both acting yeah. like Joe acting like he wasn't super pissed when he was. That's all right. Everything worked out great after that. So it's a good move by the Cubs. I guess um, it gives a little bit of perspective, though. At least then they were year in and year out what we were hoping the Braves would be, right? And the Braves only won one World Series, right? They hadn't won it yet by 93. They would go on to win their third straight division and then not go back through. They took, I mean, they, they, of course, they had uh, so many more bites of the apple than the Cubs did because the Cubs preemptively cut it short after five seasons, the modern Cubs. But that that's who we wanted to be was the Braves, right? Like, or what the Bears were in the 80s. At least the – can you at least be in contention legitimately every year like the Braves were? I mean, that's, that's what you should shoot for as an organization. Nobody can control whether or not you win the World Series. A lot of X factors then. 
And that's all we wanted. 93 was just that sort of reminder that, oh, every so many years, Cubs would be 500. It might make the playoffs. So at least we did have that in the recently truncated Theo era. Yeah, the, the Braves five had years. a the Braves had that fifteen year stretch where they where they were over five hundred every year and made the playoffs fourteen out of the fifteen years. Yeah. So and the only year they didn't was well, no, the only reason they didn't was there were no playoffs. Ninety four, and they weren't in first place. So that when people would give them shit about their division title streak that they always bragged about, they're like, well, if they'd have finished ninety four, you weren't going to win it because of the um, why. They Expos were, were awesome, but the Expos. Oh, you're right, Expos. I forgot that ninety four. Yeah, they were six. They were six. They were six games behind the Expos when the strike. And the, and the newly formed NL East, the Cubs were the, those. All I forget because that season ended short. That ninety four, we were in the three division intraleague format. Right. right. The Cubs were in the NL. That was the first year of the NL Central. So the Braves and Expos for the first time were in the same division. And they would not have won the division that year. You're right. Well, they could have. I mean, you know, there were six weeks. Look what they did to the fucking Giants yeah, year true. before. It's pretty disrespectful to just. Yeah, although expos, the Expos are pretty damn good. Yeah, they were. Well, and there's also a uh, the Cardinals have in one year, one of the years on their stupid fence, they have a division championship pennant, and they didn't win the division that year. They tied with the Astros. And the Astros had the tiebreaker. They were the wild card, and they have a division championship because they tied. It's like, well, you didn't win the fucking division. You didn't. No. You literally didn't get that playoff spot. Right. Cheap ass one. Gave themselves one. It's like, Jesus, they love to brag about how successful they are, but they're, they'll they'll do that right. with one lousy fucking division championship. You think they'd be above that and let the record otherwise stand for itself. I was out for I was I was out for a run one day and somewhere in this neighborhood I noticed there's a flag that you could see in it's in the house, I think. I found it, it amused me so much. It's a 2017 NL Cubs NL Central Championship. After the World right. Series, why would you settle for that? <laughs> who who bought? Why did you buy that? And why are you why are you flying it? Did you guys realize they did win a World Series? Maybe you could do that instead. It was the best, and I, you know, I laughed when I saw it because it reminded me of the days when we would have had, we would have bought that. Because like, well, hey, they won something. Series. They won, yeah. yeah. But in 2017, you should not be buying that. And there's also, I've seen a car and uh, that has a, um, has a 2016 NL Champions license plate. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, yeah, you cool. ran out between the between that right. and the World Series and bought the license plate frame. You couldn't have waited ten days and then bought the World Series one. It just, I just love it. I love it. Um, I just thought of one thing that I'm glad I thought of it now, as we're probably winding down, and it's kind of a continuation. Uh, I know we don't do this in sequence chronologically, but we did cover 1990 last year, last week when uh, Mike Harkey was the rookie of the year runner-up to David Justice. And then it was a little frustrating. Harkey, I, it must have been injured in 91, 92. And I remember 93 would be the year that he started to look good good again. And pretty well timed. Boy, they could use you oh, down the stretch, Mike. 
and that was the fateful Mike Harkey cartwheel <laughs> because he never pitched for the Cubs after 1993. Oh, and and really, I don't know how good he was. He did throw 157 innings. So it was this. So this is the thing. Mike Harkey, when he was rookie of the year runner-up, 173 innings uh, in a 3.26 ERA in 1990, 18.2 innings in 1991. Obviously injured. 1992, 189 ERA but in 38 innings. So he's teasing us. So he only had a 526 ERA. It was 10 and 10 and 93. But I feel like he was pitching well. I don't know, 187 hits and 157 innings. Probably much to do about nothing. But the, the the point of the story is that when they, at least at the time when they thought they could need him, he was fucking around yeah. and he did a cartwheel and he what, tore his ACL or something like that. So and then he and, made a great you know, career move. Uh, 94, he signs a free agent with the Rockies. Oof, yeah. I think, uh... Oh, my apologies. I'm wrong. Mike Harkey, September 6, 1992. Oh. So well, I, that's why he only pitched seven games. In 92. Yeah, he, made he made 28 starts in 92. He actually came back from the cartwheel injury. So I, sorry, Mike, didn't mean to malign you. And I liked your Mike Harkey story last week about... Uh, the Beloit game in 03 yeah. when some Donnie Brook was going on in the locker room and Mike just said, uh, hey, just give me the, the, the score. Yeah, you don't want to come in here. <laughs> so, all right, my bad. Mike Harkin did not do the cartwheel and he came back. He courageously came back from his uh, botched cartwheel uh, and went 10 and 10 before. Yeah, like you said, getting picked up by Colorado. Only uh, he did throw. 127 innings in 1995. So that was that was it. 1997 Dodgers, 14 innings. So when I told that story about Harkey, though, I got the uh, I got the team wrong. He wasn't he wasn't the pitching coach for the West Michigan Whitecaps. He was the pitching coach for the Battle Creek Yankees. The, okay. The West Michigan Whitecaps. Their manager was former Cub great Phil Regan. Oh, the vulture, yeah. who was the Mets manager as recently as two, two years. His old balls, he was a pitching coach for the Mets because he came back to Wrigley. I heard it, he was like 80, literally 81 years old. Yeah. He, uh, So I remember going into the – I'll never forget Phil Regan. I go into the clubhouse to give him the box score. And I don't know why. You know, there was a – he was sitting <laughs> – it's an office. I don't know why there's a lawn chair in there. But there's, you know, like the, the good old-fashioned vinyl lawn chairs, you know, with the crisscross – Vinyl or yeah, like, like a aluminum. mesh? It's there. It's aluminum, and then there's like vinyl, and they the, they kind of the frame. The, the frame is aluminum. I do remember the vinyl. I'm thinking like the more well, meshy. Are plaid. Yeah. So he's sitting on one, naked, and his is it his, his balls, balls just hang are hanging through the lawn chair. Oh, and I'm just Christ. like, oh god. So he doesn't. Yeah, thankfully, he doesn't get up because he can hurt himself. Right. Don't get. And he's like, quick. oh, I said, I'll take that. I'm like, okay. So, Thanks, like Phil. trying not to look at him as a handy Give me an image that will yeah. last you a lifetime. Like, all right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Do you have any any changes? No. Okay, good. I'm getting out of here. That was the West Michigan Whitecaps. Love it. Let's see. They weren't very good. 67 and 73. Oh, uh, Turk Wendell made his debut in 93. I remember it was a game in which Sammy Sosa, I believe, hit two homers. But I remember being excited to read about this sort of Mark Fidrich uh, yeah. wannabe that the Cubs had gotten from the Braves, who, of course, would turn out to be one in a long line of Braves reject pitchers that they would foist upon the Cubs. 
And uh, but he got called up, and I, I want to see this guy jump over the foul line when the inning's over. And yeah, then I, maybe think, I think the key some... part of that Turk Wendell trade though was uh, getting Yorkus Perez. True, because you really haven't lived unless you've had one of the Perez brothers. Turk and Yorkus I... for Damon Berryhill and Mike Balecki. There it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Damon Berryhill. That was around the time you know the Cubs made several trades with the Braves. In, in that <laughs> That's what I said, right? Yeah. He's one of the long line of you know, Joey Nation, Ruby Cavado, who we don't speak of. No, anymore. no, we don't. We do kind not. We the do Marquevious, Mingo. We don't. Yeah, hundred percent. Bears. We Let's get back on topic. About, we don't talk about right. Sergio Mitre. But we will talk about don't Andy Google, Pratt. Don't Google him at work. No. Just yeah. Yeah. But we will talk about Andy Pratt, and like, uh, uh, just uh, uh, it's more than that too. Uh, there's there's like seven different trades, and they all. In, I mean, Jason. Uh, no, that's I'll, I'll leave it at that. But and that was so, when, so that was the illustrious Steve Stone quote: "If the Braves call and offer you a pitcher, hang up." Yeah, and so Wendell is actually, I guess, kind of he turned out to be somewhat effective for three or four years before. You know, getting traded. He made it all the other way through '97. That so trade, a bit of a bit of a, bit of a staple. Could, we'll have to. Do, we could do a remember this crap an entire episode just about that trade. Which trade? The trade. The 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 trade that sent Turk to the Mets. We already hashed it out, though. There's all right. kinds of crazy shit. You never see that type of a trade after the. It was it was a post waiver. Yeah, now trade. you can't do it. They don't. You can't yeah. do post waiver trades. But it's really amazing that with the amount of talent in this trade that they all got through waivers. <laughs> yeah. Brian McRae, Turk Wendell, Mel Rojas, Mark Clark, Manny Alexander, and Lance Johnson. All recognizable. Yep. Yeah. Well, and there so. was an art to getting guys through. There was like that um there were like two schools of thought. Number one, you just like put everybody on waivers at once. Just overwhelmed like when as soon as you saw that the waiver wire was starting to fill up, you took anybody on your team because you could always pull them back, and teams would put their entire roster on waivers right. just to confuse everybody about who they were really trying to sneak through. Because if somebody claimed them, you could pull them back. And this actually gets back to the Randy Myers thing, because he wasn't a um, he wasn't a '98 Cub. The reason we talked about him in the '98 thing was. The, he was a the Blue Jays put him on waivers. He was at the end of his career, and he, they owed him a shitload of money, and they're like, I wonder if somebody will take him. Padres and, already had Trevor Hoffman. And the Padres were obsessed with the fact that the Dodgers were going to get him. And they yep. claimed him, and they were like, okay, we'll claim him. The Blue Jays will pull him back, and then nobody can get him. And the Blue That's Jays right. were like, you can have him. That's <laughs> and right. the Padres were like, oh, shit. We don't want to pay him. Like, well, you're going to have to. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah, it was a whole it was a whole different tableau. Uh, I don't know why they don't still do waiver trades. I don't get it. Well, they they do still do. They don't at all now. No, it's the, no. The only you can you can trade guys in like now you could do a trade, but it has to, you can only trade players that aren't on your forty man roster. Got it. Wow. You can no okay. longer put there's no longer revocable trade waivers. So wow. the only way you could trade somebody, like. Well, the Cubs could do this. If there was a team that wanted Frank, they could designate him for a, or they could drop him from the 40 man because he has options. Right. Once he goes, once he clears waivers, then they could trade him to another team for someone who's not on that team's 40 man roster. So you could still got sneak it, like it, a, like I, the, the White Sox, I would guess, are frantically looking for a shortstop. And that's the only kind of shortstop they're going to be able to get is somebody who's not on a 40 man. Because they don't have Tim Anderson for six weeks. 
So they could have Nick Madrigal again. Well, no, the guy they can get, they can have Andrelton Simmons. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I have a feeling. I'm just guessing that they will. Ooh, hey, the Schaden, the Schadenfreude is going to start getting and a Tony will play that. him because it's Tony, and he'll remember his name. It's just like Dusty playing Ramon Martinez. Hey, I know this guy. I'll just play him. Yeah, but even Dusty didn't like go to Ramon every day. Yeah, he went to him a lot. Got to play my guys. Yeah, he did go a lot. So uh, I know a lot of times you dig up draft picks without looking it up. Can you tell me who the Cubs, who Larry Himes and the Cubs drafted in 1993? I'm pretty sure I can. He would end up, the Cubs drafted him as an outfielder and he would end up pitching oh, against Brooks. the Cubs. Yeah. Brooks Keith. Right? 1993 first round draft pick. That's the other thing. Like Larry Himes, all right. In, in addition to burning bridges and salting the earth and doing nothing to turn the organization around. Couldn't even like uh, replicate the success in which he was hanging his hat, which I already mentioned about those first round picks, which, you know, it was, it was Jack McDowell and Alex Fernandez and, and Robin Ventura. And I think he also drafted Ray Durham in his last draft in 91, who turned out to be a good player. His two draft, two drafts for the Cubs or three, but was it uh, the Kenny Steenstra was one. But Brooks was, Definitely ninety three. Well, I mean, I'll I'll give um, I'm gonna give Larry. Uh, I'm gonna give him a pass here. The Cubs had the tenth pick in the draft, and they took Brooks Kishnick. And yeah. there really wasn't anybody good that went after him in the whole first round. Um, like for example, the Astros with the twelfth pick, they had to take this some guy named Billy Wagner. Our poor thing. The Padres picked fourteenth, and they took they took a guy who was gonna go play basketball at the University of North Carolina. They took Derek Lee. Whatever happened to that guy? Oh, man. The uh, Blue Jays took a guy who would eventually um, win a Cy Young for the Cardinals, Chris Carpenter. Cardinals took Alan Bennis. Well, the Cubs ended up with him. Eh. Uh, yeah. The, the last pick of the regular part of the first round, uh, the Twins took a guy named Torrey Hunter. Oh, wow, there's the center fielder we could have used. Yeah. Uh, Jason Veritek. Jeff D'Amico went to the Brewers. I remember Jeff D'Amico. But the Cubs had another pick. The Cubs had a uh, had a pick from one of their free agents. Oh, it's the Greg Maddox pick. Uh, so that you know, that's the thing with the Maddox thing. You have to factor all of it in. Why it's such a brilliant move by the Cubs? Another draft pick. Yep. They got Jose Guzman with that money. They got Randy Myers with that money. They got Willie Wilson. They got Dan, Dan Plesac, and then they drafted yeah. John Ratliff. It all worked out for him. Great. It's a win-win. Uh, the Cubs also uh, had the 29th pick, and they took Kevin Ory. Oh, it's, this is star-studded. It's a uh, it's it's a it's a it's a cavalcade of stars, is what it is. I do love looking at the drafts. So then he would have also picked 94. Which <laughs> he did. So who which did Jake Peterson? Did we get in 94? Get Kenny Steenstra, right? Okay. Well, it comes at a winning so, record, so they had a much lower pick. That's a problem. Oh, yeah, see? Oh, yeah, Jay Peterson. Yeah, Jay Peterson. Um, he was picked uh, just three picks behind some guy. I don't know if he made it or not in the big leagues. Uh, Nomar Garcia-Para. Ouch. He was a rookie of the year. So how about that? The, let's save the season for, for – let's save Jim Lefevre's job. Cost the Cubs Nomar Garcia-Para the first time. Like they would have drafted him. No, they would have still taken Jay Peterson, I'm sure. From East yeah. Denver High School. Uh see guys that went after Jay Peterson include uh eh, this is not so great. Uh Terrence Long, Hiram Boca Chica. I remember Hiram Boca Scott Chica. Scott Ellerton. 
means lady's mouth. Um, Girl's mouth. That's about it. That was this was not a great draft. Ninety four. Ninety four. Paul Wilson was the first overall pick, best known for being body slammed by Kyle Farnsworth. Also gave up that homer to Sammy Sosa in ninety six oh, that yeah. I talked about. Ben yeah, Reeve, who ended up playing for the Cubs. 98 rookie of the year. Along second with Wood. pick, Dustin Hermanson was third. Antoine Williamson. Future coach. Josh Booty. Josh Booty. Went fifth to Some. the Marlins. McKay Christensen. Uh, the first, like, well, I guess Ben Grieve was not a bad major league year. He was rookie of the year. No. Uh, Todd he Walker, was. who would also play for the Cubs, was the eighth yep. overall pick by the Twins. CJ Nikowski. Wait, wait in, what, in what position was Todd Walker drafted at? I mean, what? Uh, second base. Does, yeah, which is rare. Shows you how much of a two-left-foot middle infielder it was because most second basemen are drafted as shortstops, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, so the best run were the picks from um, were th- 12, 13, and 14. Red Sox, Dodgers, and Mariners took in a row Nomar, Paul Canerco, because he was a catcher for the Dodgers. He had a bad hip. They had to turn him into a first baseman, trade him to the Reds, and they got traded to the White Sox. And then Jason Veritek, yep. who would... Um, Actually signed this time, but eventually get traded to the Red Sox. Uh, so did Larry do that? Was he still around for 95? No, that was McPhail's. Lynch drafted Kerry Wood. That was his first oh, pick. That's right, Wood. Um, I would be, speaking of prospects, the Cubs did call up an outfielder that seemed to be one in a line of corner outfielders that we all would always get our hopes up for. Oh, I know who you're talking about. And he did hit a big homer that tied a game, and I'm not going to even bother to find it because we're not going to waste our time on the exploits of Kevin Robertson. Kevin Robertson, good old number 19. So they had like, you know, that was around like the Brooks Kieschnick. And they, I think a Doug Jennings was in the 93 Cubs. But yep. Most Cubs fans remember Robin Jennings and Ozzie Timmons and Scott Bullitt. And, Eddie Zambrano. Uh, Eddie Zambrano and uh, Brant Brown. Like corner outfield, they just would continue to just – but Roberson, yeah, for a brief period of time, we don't know where he came from or who drafted him. Probably a Jim Fry pick, which should have been the first clue. But he looked like a good ball. He was a, he was a tall, thin, lint, a tall, thin, like sort of muscular, angular African American. Looked like a ball player, but just another. He's from Decatur. Went to Parkland Community College in Champaign. Down, down, I know Parkland. So he's down, downstate guy. Sixteenth round draft pick in eighty-eight. Jim Fry's first draft. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's the only year. I don't think Kevin Roberson was on the Cubs in any other season except 93. He may have come back up in 94. So, what we so, said, Derek May hit 52 homers and 2,200 at-bats. Okay. Kevin Roberson hit 20 homers and 300 at-bats. Oof. He also only hit 197. You know what I remember? He did tie a game. I might find it, but if I don't, no big deal. And he did play 94 and 95. I don't even remember that. I just thought it was 93. He tied a game up with an eighth or ninth inning homer, and now it comes back to me because Harry used the old line that they are. Uh, it shouldn't be hard to find because he only hit 20. But anyway, tied a game up at Wrigley Field, hit one on to Sheffield. It was like an overcast, rainy summer day, and that Harry was telling everybody that they were dancing in the streets of Decatur, hmm. as he was wont to do. Uh, oh, Heathcote that- Slocum was still around in 93. William yeah, Brennan, which, not Walter Brennan, but William Brennan. Uh, was, he, was he the guy that designed the whole Chicago numbering system? I think so. 
Street numbering system. Well, at least he did something. He played on the 88 Dodgers. Wow. With Tim Belcher? Let's see. He pitched in the 88. Uh, pitched in four games for the 88 Dodgers. Seems surprising he was not on the playoff roster. And then he pitched in eight games for the Cubs in 93. Those were his only two seasons in the big leagues. No idea who that guy was. Number 44. Me neither. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if uh, yeah, if my Kevin my Kevin Roberson clutch homer was just a figment of my imagination. Very well could have been. So we'll just have to leave it at that. They might have been dancing in the streets of Decatur, but for entirely different reasons. So when Steve Lake came back to the Cubs for the second time, he is he got to be one of the guys who wore number ten before they retired it. Oh, you're kidding. He had been 16 the first time around. Another Leon Durham wannabe. Yeah, I could have guessed But Jose Vizcaino was 16, so he couldn't have it. Yeah, not with his hot start. No, no sir. Starting second baseman. Yeah. So you can't have, no, get your own number. I don't care. I got 16. I love it. It's my favorite number. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, at least until Rhino comes back. Yeah, I must have I must have dreamed Kevin Roberson's supposed game time homer. Sorry, Kev, I tried. Thought you had your moment, but at least we got your name checked because I don't think your your name has not come up before. We've already done ninety four and ninety five. So, all right. Well, that's uh, that's more than the ninety three Cubs deserved. I think it's more than a lot of these teams deserve. But yeah, I think we picked it over pretty good. So. <laughs> Should have been all Rick Wilkins. He led the team in war. That's a it's a legitimately good season, especially after it really is. Dove in and saw right. that it was not a matter of he only got hits when there was nobody on. I, I he got hits when there were guys on. There just never anybody on. I expected the whole thing to be a mirage and like proof that he was a fraud. And yeah, the thirty homer, seventy three RBIs is not anywhere near his fault, like you said. And that's one of the finest seasons by any fucking catcher ever let alone a Cub. It's just the most bizarre thing because uh, nothing happened really before or after that that would engender optimism. So it's quite a takeaway. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, all right. All right. Well, thanks, Andy. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Many of us have herpes. I just wanted this to be over.